force. We are dead. We are all dead. We were supposed to make the world a better place. What happened? I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore. I know kung fu. You either die a hero, or you live long enough to see yourself become the villain. I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore. This whole thing is insane. This whole thing is insane. 300 years ago, you'd have been burned at the stake. What do all men of power want? More power. This is now the United States of Zombieland. This whole thing is insane. Man is even capable of nothing but destruction. Everybody is stuck with the things that they're not proud of. More power. Welcome to the desert. Of the real. More power. There can be only one. Are you a God-fearing man, Senator? You're such a strange phrase. I've always thought of God as a teacher, as a bringer of light, wisdom, and understanding. You see, I think what you really are afraid of is me. Happy heresies and welcome to the desert of the real. Heresy shouldn't be this much fun, but it is, it just is. Especially with the latest AB Live, audio version for thee in this eternal now and in this red pill cafeteria. And also especially with an exclusive double header. First, the AB Live audio version of filmmaker Ron James joining us for a phenomenal eye-opening documentary. Join us as we explore the most exciting and important aspects of UFOs. We deep-dived into the UFO phenomena and exposed many truths, from alien abduction to secret government programs. We also got the most profound insights from many of today's leading minds in the field. Colonel John Alexander, Lou Elizondo, Christopher Mellon, Nick Pope, Richard Dolan, and Dr. Michio Kaku. Then a stellar interview with Barbara DeLong, discussing her new book, Beyond Roswell, which she co-authored with Ken Goodsward. The public's perception of UFOs starting in 1947 is just a continuation of a long-standing pattern. There are many documented historical sightings of UFOs prior to Roswell, with some of the records stretching back to ancient times. According to the book's findings, no other phenomenon has been as consistent and well-documented over time, with as many sightings, reports, and discussions as UFOs. Pure astronosis for ya. So please support if you find value in this Gnostic alchemical gold. Trust me, the content is going to be even more powerful in May. And it's not hard to support. For example, you can simply pledge a few dollars a month on my Patreon. It really helps, and I can use all the help, as we all do. Don't forget my voiceover availability for any podcast, video game, commercial, audiobook, documentary, or whatevs. I'll bring you stellar results with down-to-home professionalism. And don't forget I do have an Amazon wish list and a fantastic merch store. Get your Not Today Archons t-shirts. 
Other than that, let us to our latest AV Live. The truth is out there, Mulder, and you're about to find loads of it in this special double header. UFO reality can no longer be denied. In 2017, the New York Times broke a front page story about a shadowy government program. Pentagon had this secret UFO monitoring agency which nobody knew about. Don't ask me because I'm not going to tell you. Instead of answers, we've been given a new narrative. The UAPs are not ours or any foreign governments. Then the question is, whose are they? You can ask the questions, but who are you going to ask them of? And you've got to make sure you're asking the right people. There are many things that are out there in the ether that aren't officially brought to our attention. So how would it have to be officially brought to your attention? I'm bringing it to your attention. Sure. Do you expect to see real answers in this report? Uh, honestly, I don't think so, Jake. A memorable quote in that is, technology not of this earth, not made by man. That's a profound moment. So have you studied classified materials, but you just don't have them? I just shouldn't say anything more. Individuals at the Pentagon confirmed the Roswell spacecraft real. It's just a complete cover-up. Some phenomena point to an interaction with consciousness. Maybe the physical evolved from consciousness. Life may exist in all sorts of forms. The question is, what's our definition of life? Welcome, everybody, to AM Byte. Welcome to AB Live on this Thursday night, this Thor's Day, this day of Jupiter. And what you just saw was the trailer of a really amazing documentary, a documentary that uh, I've watched, as many of you know, I've watched uh, pretty much all of them. Uh, we've had many directors, uh, writers, but this, I would say, this is probably the best that I've seen in many years, and that is Accidental Truth UFO Revelation. And my name is Miguel Connor. I am still your pompous of Gnosis, your madman across the waters of creation. And welcome, everybody, as I see you going into the chat room for what will be an incredible show. With us, we have the writer and director of Accidental Truth, and that is Ron James. Ron, thank you very much for coming on the show. Thanks for having me on the show, and thanks for the kind words about the film. It's it's a nerve-wracking process all the way to the end, and to hear people that are actually really saying positive things about it is intensely gratifying. Yeah, from the start, and uh, yes, I agree. I kept watching this movie like, man, he, he must have had some powers from above, because you can tell the, you know, the blocks and all the work you had to do for years and how it just all came together, and I'm like... He made it to the finish line. Finish line. Thank God, and we got the movie right. Hey, there were a lot of times I didn't think I was going to make it to the finish line. <laughs> I could yeah. tell. I could tell just by the amount of work and what you're able to get, and the guests and the research. I was like, "Whoo, 
So yeah, kudos. Yeah, well, we definitely want to unpack this and uh, maybe show a clip to the audience. And again, off the bat, uh, highly recommend you get this movie. Uh, I think right now you, I saw you get it. What Amazon? You can get it. Where else? It's it's pretty much everywhere. It's on Amazon, Apple TV. It's number four on iTunes right now. And James Fox and I are in the. He's got the phenomenon number three right now. This minute, uh, make it moment of contact is number one. I'm number four. And so we're kind of texting each other back and forth, yeah. kind of teasing each other about, but that's a high class problem to yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. joking around with your friends about how you've got two of the three uh, or yeah, two of the top five, <laughs> yeah. but yes. So it's on Apple, it's on Microsoft, it's on um, uh, Redbox. Pretty much if you go to the trailer, there's a link and then you can, you can do it. You can order it on Amazon, of course. Yeah, and uh, I've already looked. I'm seeing the rating. Of course, I'm looking at the ratings. I'm like, off the bat, it's got some really good ratings. So you're That's on good, your way. You know, I got review bombed coming out of the gate. There are a lot of people that, um, as much as I try to be one of the nicest guys in ufology, I do have my detractors. And um, uh, there were six people that went to IMDb and gave it one star before anybody could even watch it. And <laughs> You know, whoever those people are out there, because I'm going to run across you sooner or later. Shame on you guys. That was mean. Well, we all know that the ufology community is not and never been, uh, you might say, uh, together. There's always a lot of friction, inner warfare, fights. It's like anything. I've tried to stay away from that. You know, I'm, I'm the media relations director for MUFON, and um, that started from me founding MUFON Television and growing that as a business partnership with them. And then, um, you know, they gave me that official position and this organization has just come such a long way and moved mountains. And I'm, I'm, I'm actually very proud to be a part of it, but there's still people out there that, that uh, don't agree. Yeah. And then of course you've got all the, might as well say it, all the CIA plants and whatever disinformation trying to play it off plant that uh, you know that false thing to make it look bad same what they do in other arenas whether it's yeah. new age or conspiracy or anything jfk it's doing know. okay on amazon i've been afraid to look because uh, yeah <laughs> yeah yeah i saw it look good in the in what i watch is again good ratings that's what keeps okay. gives it legs yeah. if you know what i mean that's what yeah you need, yeah you need legs so that's so, good to hear yeah. i'm literally ever since uh, the film got released and I went in and, and noticed, you know, a couple of, of attacks. I just, you know, I don't want to subject myself to that. So I have not been watching. I've been watching the Apple chart, um, but I haven't looked at the reviews or the ratings or anything yet. I'm, it's just like, just need to unplug. I made the film. I put it out into the world. And it is up to the audience and, and the people of planet Earth to decide if it's, uh, if it's a good contribution. There you go. And with us, just beam down from another planet, we've got the Moondog Vans. Vans, how are you doing? And I know you watch it too, so please give us yep. uh, give us your review. Well, I'm out of breath from running away from the men in black, and uh, <laughs> I managed to escape. Um, um, and uh, by the way, hi, NSA. Hi, CIA. I know they're yeah, running out. Yeah, gang's all here, of course. Yeah. <laughs> gang's all here. Um, I thought it was uh, very well produced and uh, very professional, and it really brought home the point that the government has changed its tune, and so you got to wonder, and that, that's the one point 
Uh, and everybody knows that, but it's nice to see it really spelled out in front of you. And the other point, which is something, Miguel, I've said on this show and to you uh, privately, is that for all they've said, there is so much that you know they can't say if they, for example, if they had a, an operational craft or even a pieces of a craft that they could reverse engineer and they managed to have any success at it, it would be totally classified. SCI, blah, 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 because you wouldn't want anybody else, you know, outside the country to get the secrets that they're hopefully getting. So we know, you know, whatever, it's the tip of the iceberg. And there's the accidental truth. There's something called OPSEC in the classified world where they take unclassified material and you draw the lines between it and you wind up with more than they're telling you. And I think this accidental truth is exactly that. It's uh, it really, there's a big arrow pointing out to, you know, what might really be, but who knows? They'll never tell us. They'll never, never tell us the whole thing. And we will, we will never understand the whole truth, but the thrust of accidental truth is that, when they came out in 2018 with this new story about how, you know, oh, well, Project Blue Book ended and there's been nothing going on until the stuff with Robert Bigelow started and evolved into ATIP, um, Accidental Truth is about blowing that story out of the water and giving people a really solid idea of what was going on for those years, who was doing it, what they discovered, and, um, you know, the, the, the reason they're doing it, I call it the new narrative and so are others. Um, they're doing it because they they've got to remove accountability and they've got they've got to be able to roll out the story that this stuff exists, but they've got to do it in such a way that they can whitewash the sins of the past. And so that's what we're seeing. And um, I didn't leave a lot of breathing room for anybody in this film. No, not at all. In it's fact, not deserved, uh, you know, <laughs> for, for the, not deserved. Yeah. So what is that? Uh, tell the audience why you call it accidental truth. Well, it's a it's a double entendre in a lot of ways. Um, you know, it's kind of a play on the fact that the uh, you know that these crashes that we know we were happened that was accidental. But that's not the real meaning. The meaning is of, of accidental truth is because, it, as I say in the beginning of the film, I'm sitting with these guys that have run secret programs, interrogated terrorists, held closely guarded secrets for a living, and all I can think about is getting them to tell me something they don't want me to know. And, and that's what the whole film's about. And, and they do, you know, there's a, there's slip ups in this film that, yeah. that are, that are in there. And when you watch them, we don't call anybody in the film dishonest. We don't denigrate anybody. It's, it, it's not, it's not a mean spirited film, but you can clearly tell that people aren't telling us the truth while they're talking. And if you watch it two or three times, you realize that there's a, there's a lot of uh, um, dishonest uh, answers, but the uh, it's, it's the slip ups. It's the things like when I asked that's in the trailer. Well, when I'm interviewing Gary Nolan, well, right. he did two different interviews with two different people where he said two different things. And, and I, and I said, well, Gary, you told Lex Friedman that you didn't get any, materials from the government but then you told jesse michaels i think is his name that that you couldn't show him stuff because it was classified so have you studied classified materials and he's like uh yeah i can't say anymore um <laughs> it, it's, it's hilarious and there's several poignant moments like that in the movie um and there so are. that's why it's accidental truth and then the the poster art itself is really 
very symbolic. It, people can't see the whole thing because of the title graphics, but built into the title, we have these animated drips that come down mm -hmm. um, that represents the slow drip of disclosure. And then built into the, to the word, you see truth and denial. And that's really what it's all about is that you're, 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 re you're receiving truth through denial. It's a, uh, it's, it's pretty cool. Yeah, I walked yeah. a very fine line making this film. To, I, everybody that's in it, you know, and people might have their opinions about the cast and different people. Um, I think that uh, I, I told people, look, you're still going to be talking to me when this is over. And so far, most of them are. So um, even though it's a uh, we're not playing softball with any of these guys, obviously. But, mm -hmm. you know, I, I came to respect over time the fact that a lot of these people are duty bound, they're patriots, they, they're doing the right thing, despite, you know, whatever the opinion is, maybe they're still working, maybe they're still part of an ongoing op, probably. But, you know, at the end of the day, they're not, it doesn't make them bad people. No, no, not at all. And yes, for the audience, there are several of these, uh, yeah, amazing uh, scenes in the movie where yeah he catches them and so forth. But tell us about the process of making Accidental Truth and how it came about. Well, I've been um I've made several UFO documentaries. I won the EBE Awards in 2012 for a film called The Disclosure Dialogues, and of course I've produced. You know, I own Mufon TV, so I make those shows. Um, but I always knew that sooner or later I was going to make another uh, a big UFO film and. But I didn't want to do it until I really thought I could move the ball because we see there's a lot of these films come out. They're either packed with things that really can't be verified. So they attract a certain crowd that wants to drink the Kool-Aid. And that's OK. But I didn't want to do that. Um, but, you know, real legitimate information is hard to come by. And so it was uh, it was when I did the interview with Lou Elizondo when he made the comment that's in the film. Mm -hmm. um, that's when I realized that that I had something, and I and I really thought I could build a whole film just around that interview, but then as the uh, and and I brought it to 1091's attention, and they 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 did a contract deal with me to produce the film sight unseen. They uh, just by by my reputation for my previous work and my concept that uh, they they agreed to be the distributor, which was amazing, um, and so. Then I started thinking, well, you know, I want this to be bigger and better. So the post-it notes on my wall are going on two years old now. But since then, that's when I got Michio Kaku. That's when I brought in Ralph Blumenthal from the New York Times. That's when I brought in Dr. Gary Nolan. Um, so I, I brought some real heavy hitters to this thing that are doing things that they've never done before and saying things that they, that they have not said. And um, so it just kept getting bigger and bigger. But then at the end of it, the post-it notes on my wall from two years ago, it's still the same movie uh, that I that I envisioned. And it just evolved uh, over time. And um, then, you know, when we got Matthew Modine to come in and narrate, that was huge. Uh, we, we originally had Edward James Olmos, and he oh, backed wow. out. We were trying to get Captain Steven Adama, Tyler. Captain Adama from Battlestar Galactica. Yeah, he was, um, he was my second choice. I wanted Steven Tyler. Um, mm. But he went into rehab right as we were his yeah, people yeah. were talking to my people, so to speak. Um, and then we we uh, we had Eddie, uh, but I think his lawyer scared him because <laughs> we were we literally had written the contract and sent it to him, and then they came back and and you know uh, he's going to pass. But um, Matthew Modine turned out to be a, uh, just an absolute blessing. He loves the film. He's helping us to promote it, 
and um the uh the synergy between him him and i doing it i went to you know we didn't do it remotely i went to new york city and sat in the studio with him for two days and we recorded the voiceover and um he was very uh he's like who says this kind of thing because there's a lot of tongue twister technical things in the in the film and and it was really funny but he was super great to work with and um he gave me a, he gave me a, a really decent rate in exchange for giving him some executive producer credits that he wanted and so now um our, the conversation now is be careful what you wish for because you know people are going to be like Matthew Modine, what did he do? Oh yeah, accidental truth. Full metal what? Stranger what? Private you joker. Private, <laughs> that's what I remember him as private joker, but yeah, most people think of him as Papa from Stranger Things. Well, Which you know it's fits funny. In. It fits in with the you with the movie. It does. Here here's a weird synergy about that. So, we have a a guy who played a scientist running a top secret program really uh, narrating a movie that's about government people running top secret programs. And then he's going to be in the new movie that's coming out Oppenheimer. He has a, he has a role in that. And guess oh. who he's playing? Who? He's playing Vanover Bush. Oh who, God. who arguably was a member of MJ 12. If, if there was an MJ 12. Yeah. So it's just hilarious that that little synergy. It's, it's, it's really funny. And, um, one day the uh, recording studio didn't open. We, we got there early. So we went and had breakfast and I was telling him about, you know, the whole MJ 12 thing. And um, he just thought it was hilarious. So <laughs> did the pandemic have uh, any disruptions making this movie? No, because it was pretty much over. You know, when the pandemic hit, uh, I had my, my 90, she was 92 at the time, 92 year old mother ended up in the emergency room and I had to take her out of her house and, and I had a really big house in LA. So it was no problem. I put her in my guest house. Um, and then the pandemic hit and I'm like, yeah, okay. I'm in Los Angeles. Nobody knows how it's going to come out. I was there the day the big hospital ship pulled into LA Harbor and I'm just like, Oh man. <laughs> so, um, I, I decided to boogie out to Sedona. So I bought a house out here, uh, where she could have her own guest house and, and be comfortable. I didn't have to worry about her dying of COVID or anything else. So that's what I did. And um, it was shortly after I got the place in Sedona and I still have my TV studio in LA. So I go back and forth. The, the, I have the studio that I own out there, but the, um, yeah, it was right after COVID that we okay. started work in earnest. Good deal. Good deal. And uh, just out of curiosity, um, when did you become interested in UFOs and have you had a UFO experience? I'm pretty open. I've had two. I've described them. It, you know, I can't say it was something not of this earth, but that's where I am. How about you, Ron? Well, I've always been interested in the topic, even, you know, growing up and um, guys like Stanton Friedman um, on TV and uh, Nick Pope, when he used to write that, he was still in the British Ministry of Defense, and he had a column in UFO okay. magazine. I used to read that. And I was really a fan of these guys that were legit, that were giving credence to the topic. You know, Stanton Friedman was a scientist, and, and when he talked, it, it was something that you could listen to that wasn't going to be so easily dismissed. And Nick Pope was the same way back then, and he still is. He's in the film, and, and he's been very good to me over the years. But um Steve Bassett hired me to produce one of his X conference because I had a video production company. I still do. And, you know, I've done a lot of video work 
a lot of music stuff, Smashing Pumpkins, Guns N' Roses, Earth, Wind & Fire. So I've, I've, my company does that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but he hired me to produce and live stream his X conference and later the citizen hearing on disclosure. But um, it was at that conference when I got to meet these people that it really came to my attention that we're dealing with the biggest, uh, the biggest deception ever perpetrated on humanity. And I basically had decided at that time that I, I would like to do something about it. And it was like 15 years ago. And so I started making films and I started interviewing people and I have this drawer of hard drives. I mean, there must be 50 of them full of unpublished interviews uh, of people, Edgar Mitchell, some people that are passed uh, away, uh, Jim Mars. Um, uh, yeah. Anyway, just a ton of people that, that still haven't seen the light of day. And so when I decided to, to pitch Accidental Truth to the distributor, it was, um, I, I knew what I was sitting on and, and I knew kind of pretty much what I was going to do. And then I decided that I wanted to learn how to do 3D animation. So I did a crash course in that. I hired some people from the Ukraine to help. So, you know, all the, all the animations in the film, some of them are stock footage, but most of them are original that me and my guys in Ukraine created. And they were sending me pictures of oh, missiles wow. flying over their place. When one day it'd be like, Hey, are we going to get that shot? Oh no, they blew up the power plant. You know, it's like, God, and these guys worked through all this and continued to deliver material. Wow. Yeah. That's crazy. Wow. Well, glad it happened indeed. Uh, and um, I guess, Vance, do you have questions for Ron about the movie? Because I know you, I'm sure you do. Huh? Uh, yeah, well, uh, one thing yeah, I was, it was wondering. Cathartic. It was so cathartic because, yeah, the frustration, I was like, oh, thank God I'm watching this movie. Cause... <laughs> yeah, Lou Elizondo, I was wondering, have you, has he, has he ever shown you his DD-214? You know, that showed that he was at least in the military because there, I've read a lot of things about, you know, that he won't, tell you know he doesn't provide documentation as to what he was doing now the a-tip you know is the one thing but go ahead yeah yeah. so there was a time when lou elizondo was working very closely with mufon and the ttsa guys and and we've been through all of that with him and with something that people don't really understand is that there was a lot of civilian contracting happening within the military until entire intelligence wings are civilian contracts. Oh, always. And, and so, you know, a lot of his career is that, and then a lot of his career is classified, but you know, these people that say that, that, that he wasn't there, um, you know, we kind of cover that in the film. Um, we, we talk about how they tried to disavow him and we talk about the work that he's done. You know, he hired Danny Sheehan and they went after the defense intelligence agency for discrediting him and the, and everybody had to walk back the stuff they've said. And, and the other thing you have to realize is that you, you are never a retired intelligence guy when you're at that level. Okay. And, and, you know, let's just, let's just, let's call a spade a spade. I'm not saying that, that, you know, he's actively still conducting some kind of op because I, I could not say that factually. But what I am saying is, is that, you know, he's, he's doing his job and he's, and that's a job that never ends. So. Did he, did he act, was he actually in the military? I mean, unless he just flew over there to Iraq and, and shot pictures of himself just to put on a hoax. Um, no, nah, he was in the military and then he was working for civilian agencies outside the military for the military. And I don't think that people are going to gain a lot of traction trying to discredit that. Yeah, I was just wondering. And um, what was it like uh, with uh, Mishu Kaku? Did you, uh, did he send you footage or how was that interaction? Um, no, I, I went to New York. Um, 
it, it, this is so funny. But when I first, some of my first videos were, um, were called the bigger question series. And that's the name of one of my shows too. But I had gone to in, in the late nineties, I'd gone to New Mexico and interviewed who were all the key great scientists of the time, Amit Goswami, Bill Tiller, Dean Radin, you know, just this huge list of people mm -hmm. that were on the cutting edge of reality stuff. Uh, Russell Targ, I interviewed Russell Targ, I interviewed his daughter. Um, she's gone, I think. But um, the one guy that was on my list that I didn't get all those years ago was Michio Kaku because I couldn't, I couldn't, he was hard to get. Um, and so for this, I'm like, oh, I gotta, I gotta try. I gotta try. So Chris O'Brien, who people would probably know best for his, uh, cattle mutilations books. Um, him and I have made several films together and, um, uh, he came to help me with this and I'm like, dude, I don't care what else you do. Get me Dr. Kaku. So we, I mean, we, we pounded it. It's like we, we're emailing him. We're finding out his other emails. <laughs> we're calling him at New York city university. And finally, you know, we sent him, we sent him some dollar signs and he, and he, and he got back and it wasn't much, but it was the week of my birthday, January 16th. And I'm in New York and it was the day before my birthday. And I rented a, a studio in New York with a green screen and I'm sitting for two hours, eye to eye, five feet away from Dr. Michio Kaku. And I'm like, that's the best birthday present I ever had. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then Ralph Blumenthal oh, yeah. came the next day. And um, after the interview with Ralph, he autographed a book for me. And I didn't look at it at first. Um, but when I got back to the hotel, I looked to see what he wrote. And he actually wrote, Ron, you're a terrific interviewer. Thanks, Ralph. And that, I mean, coming from cool. that guy, Pulitzer Prize winning, bastion of journalism, to have him say that. So that was a week of my birthday, and it just couldn't have been better. Fantastic. How about other people? You know, um, um, Linda Moulton, how did, uh, did you approach her to be in the film or what, how'd that? Well, you know, I've, I've known Linda for a long time and I've interviewed her several times and, um, I just didn't have a place to get her in. Uh, it, it's, there's very little room for, for commentary. And as the film spliced together, I wanted to use some stuff that I had with her, but then, um, it just didn't work. Yeah. Okay. And Linda and I are great friends. We hung out at AlienCon together, did tequila shots. So that was pretty. <laughs> <laughs> that was always Art's part. Or you know what? It wasn't. It wasn't yeah. Alien. I, I was at AlienCon. I, I spoke at, at AlienCon, but I, I it was at the Parapod, the uh, the world's first Parapod uh, convention, and I won the very first Parapod award for best oh, wow. feature documentary. Ooh. So. Cool. Accidental Truth has won nine different awards, including um, this is the Award of Excellence from uh, from the Accolade Film Competition. Get a little trophy with stars all over it. That's pretty cool. How about a trophy with UFOs on top of it? Do you get one of those? <laughs> no, but the Parapod cool. one has the alien. Yeah, that's true. So, that's true. Yeah. Oh gosh, Vince, they're UAPs. Get with the marketing now. Oh, I know, <laughs> right? Uh, you know what? I'm mad about that because they, they deliberately did that because they trashed the term UFO. Right. They did it. They trashed it, and they said, "Well, no, there's no UFOs, but they're UAPs." That that's part of you know that's part of this whole you know switcheroo thing that the government did. But uh, this is the wrong. Indie Fest. We won two. We won. Uh, we won the award of excellence for narration 
and for a feature documentary. So there's nine altogether. That, Very that cool. One. And it, before it even came out. Well, what do you think of Art's parts? You remember that? Supposing people sent them and they analyzed it and so forth. Would that be, uh, in your opinion, uh, evidence of, um, you know, material taken from extraterrestrial craft? Well, you know, one of the things that Lou points out, and I'm, I'm sorry, I'm kind of watching the chat. Maybe I shouldn't do that. There's a couple of people asking some questions. I'm doing it too. Um, <laughs> if, you, if you want you to. Know, I, I don't them, know what you straight. mean by farmers. I mean, the, uh, you know, Chris Mellon's in it. It, it. There's a lot of people that are that, that are in it. Colonel John Alexander is in it, and he's going to tell you things in accidental truth that are just going to blow you away because here's a guy who the whole time he was front-facing and interacting with the UFO community, talking about how there's nothing to any of this as far as the government's concerned. He was, um, you know, running one of those programs. So, and, and he, he admits was my, it. Uh, he was my favorite guest. He was very stoic, sense of humor, very practical. And I love that quote where he says, the good news is the government's telling us the truth. The bad news is that the government's telling us the truth. I was like, oh, this guy's been around. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you know, the thing is, is that it's, it, is it even government anymore? You know, if this stuff really happened back in Roswell, a special group, MJ-12 or something like them, was set aside to, to have very little accountability to anyone. And then this whole disinformation campaigns and lies were engineered. And, um, and so what we have is something that goes back to 70 years uh, and it's been sequestered and compartmentalized. And, and there may very well be no institutional memory of any of this. And, and one thing that I was very shocked of in the process of making the film is that the government and the, and the military, these guys have no problem literally destroying stuff that should have historical value. Mm. Like the, uh, the film from the Blue Room, we finally found out that it did exist Oh, wow. But it was destroyed, supposedly. Um, so the idea that we have some big warehouse, Indiana Jones style, Raiders of the Lost Ark style, where all this stuff is is stored, maybe we don't, you know. And it, it, it would be a tragedy and a and a, and a and a terrible thing to think that you know evidence has been destroyed like that. But I think a significant amount of it has. I'll bet the NRO has tons of stuff. They, they, they scour the earth with their satellites and who knows what they have seen. And I'll bet you they don't throw that stuff away. <laughs> well, you know what? What's interesting is here we are with another set of hearings. And here we are, this, this thing that just happened with the Chinese weather balloon. And we're actually being asked to believe that we don't know what's in our airspace. I mean, maybe yeah, really. <laughs> may, maybe we've got these sensors turned down so they don't pick up little tiny, you know, drones okay. and experimental stuff. But we know that there's all kinds of programs to track UFOs. We know they do it at NORAD. And they probably have entire offices that are set up just to monitor these craft. And so the idea that, that, that we don't know, um, that's pretty rough. Yeah, it's it's incredible. Well, awesome. Well, oh, look, you know, here's a cult fan trashing Mufon, dude. You shouldn't do that. The fact <laughs> that the the, the fact yeah. of the matter is the Mufon's come a really long way, and it's the world's best, largest, oldest, greatest organization studying the UFO topic. So chill, man. <laughs> Good. Well, let's you gave it let's to play. Him. Yeah, let's play a, a clip. Oh, and for the audience, I think you're gonna by now you're gonna start throwing like virtual fruit at me. But I have to mention my Elvis bio. For the record, Elvis had 
five UFO encounters, three are verifiable, four are verifiable. And he was right there. And there's many people, people that later betrayed him, but they were like, no, this shit was going on. So interesting, too, that the king himself met the ambassadors of other planets. But uh, here, let's play a clip, Ron, because, again, uh, it's just a cool movie. Advanced your technology is only about a minute. Here we go. <laughs> In March of 2022, the Defense Intelligence Agency responded to another FOIA request that demanded information about the work of ATIP and its previous versions. The result was 1,500 pages that included 38 independent papers about potential advanced technology. Some of the technologies that were explored include advanced nuclear propulsion for manned deep space missions. Many of these technologies are beyond the realm of current science. These technologies are discussed as if someone knows that they are entirely possible. Machinery really does exist. It does exist. The, the problem has been the inability to back engineer. And I kind of think that some, some things require a weightless environment Very cool. Well, tell us about that clip. And yes, yeah, now we come to defense. Grand Pong is also, he's defending MUFON. And there you go. Yeah, thank you, Graham. The, it, it's the oldest civilian organization, so you do make a good point. Um, yeah, so the government came out with these DIRDs, the Defense Intelligence Agency reports, that were written. You know, a lot of people are debunking them. They're saying, well, yeah, this is all came out of ATIP and, and the crazy stuff at Skinwalker. They're chasing werewolves, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> um, okay, you know, whatever. But and, and they were studying some pretty occult weird stuff at, at Skinwalker. That's, that's a given. But these DIRDs are reports of 1,500 pages, 50 or so technolo technologies that, you know, we don't have. And it, Michio Kaku steps in during this and we start talking, we start looking at individual technologies. Is this possible? Could we even do it? Uh, well, yeah, it's possible maybe in 100,000 years. So what mm -hmm. we're dealing with, in, in my opinion, is that there's been a great deal of research at the, at the corporate industrial level on these technologies ever since we started realizing that these advanced craft were, were happening. And they used the OSOP program and, and later ATIP as a way to bubble this stuff up into the public vernacular. So these reports, a lot of people say, well, they're not reports. They're, they're, they're just, there's nothing to them. You know, how put off wrote them and that kind of thing. Um, yeah, maybe, but the fact is, is that they've got to get the possibility of these technologies into the vernacular. Um, so they've done that, uh, with these releases. And a few months before that, they released uh, very few people paid attention to it, but the DIA released the materials stuff with a direct admission that these were reports about materials that were recovered as flotsam shot off debris from unidentified flying objects and were studied in the big, Bigelow Aerospace and other facilities. And then because of who was involved in obtaining those reports, uh, a lot of people didn't like the guy. And, and so they pounced on him. But the, the the Freedom of Information Act response is what it is, and it's it's it, it is not something that you can deny. They answered the question, and then we start looking at the technologies that they bring our, to our attention, especially materials. 
and we're able to trace the, the origin of these materials through the smoke screen of where they say the materials came from and find out that they actually came from a completely different place a long time earlier. And coincidentally, you know, one of them comes out of a, a company that was under contract to do materials work for Wright Patterson. But the official story of where that material came from is not that. Yeah, it's it's incredible. So if you ha do you have a, a stance on uh, UFOs or aliens? For example, I lean towards uh, John Keel and the ultra terrestrials. That works for me. Sometimes Jacques Vallée and the sort of the nine or the council or the but the college, if you would. Uh, where do you stand, Ron? I think that, you know, as we state in the film, there's a lot of different possibilities. And I think that it's probably going to end up being all of the above. There are, you know, there, there probably, it's a, it's a great possibility that there is an ultra terrestrial species here that has learned that living on the surface of the planet is a dangerous uh, gamble and, and could be completely advanced, maybe under Antarctica, under the ocean, who knows? But so there's a case for that. And then there's, you know, there's also a case for extraterrestrials that are, they're aliens from other planets. Mm -hmm. Um, and then of course, you know, when you start talking about interdimensional stuff and, and other life forms that don't even match our definition of life, I think all of these things are possible. And it's really going to take all of these things combined to kind of explain everything we're seeing. So as John told me, I don't know if I used it in the movie, but you know, he, he said, we're not even at the stage where we're asking the right questions yet. And I, and I think that, you know, we're going to learn a lot about our physical reality as we start seeing these things happen. Good point. Yeah, I think it was a Thomas Pynchon said, if they can get you asking the wrong questions, they don't have to worry about the answers, which our government has done very well. Yeah, and you've got Richard Dolan, who I've followed for years and love the idea of a breakaway civilization. I don't care what anybody says. I love the movie Iron Skies with the Nazis and on the other side yeah, of the movie. Yeah. So, yeah, in so in submarines. In submarine writing. You know, here's here's the so. thing about all that stuff. I can say maybe, but in, in what I did with Accidental Truth, I wanted to make sure that there was as, as solid a journalistic approach as there can be. Um, and so I didn't want to speculate on everything in the film that we present has a paper trail and some kind of scientific backing. It's like, you know, what Lou said about these materials. We all know what's in the periodic table, you know, it's a, and it's consistent throughout the universe. I'm sure there's materials that we haven't discovered yet, but, but, you know, if you, if you get a, a metallurgy sample, you can analyze it and you can tell what it's made of. But in a lot of these things, it's these isotopic ratios that throw everything off because that is, uh, you know, created during the formation of these materials. And, and some of these materials are testing with isotopic ratios that cannot be duplicated on planet Earth. And that is science. And it's true. It's the truth. You know, it's just like we don't cover it in the film, but, um, you know, it's just like John Brandenburg and his radiation on Mars. Nobody's been able to refute that. The radiation that they're finding in the atmosphere of Mars only comes from a nuclear explosion or a supernova. It's the only two known factors in the universe that can affect it. And if it came from a supernova sweeping radiation into the solar system, it would be everywhere. It wouldn't everywhere. just be in the atmosphere of Mars. And nobody's got an answer for that one. John says Mars was nuked. Uh, that is kind of hard. To, it nobody, was. Nobody's been able to debunk it. I forget about, yeah. I, I always thought that. that. Theory. 
it's the most uh, mind-boggling. It's one of those things that you'll like wake up at night or you'll be laying there like, holy shit, he's right. <laughs> yeah. It's incredible. It's incredible. Um, and uh, yeah, for those of you in the chat, uh, again, if you have any questions, please super chat them. And of course, if Ron wants to deal with one of y'all, he can do that. Uh, here we are. We are free. Wheeling. I'm not trying to pick fights in the chat room. No, I no, just no, think no, that, no, uh, you know, MUFON as an organization has done more for ufology than any organization ever. We still have the largest database in the world and it's had its ups and downs. It's, it, it's, it's been, uh, it's been kicked around by other people and it's, it's had its internal flaws, but it's still there and it's stronger than ever. And people, you know, I, I just hate to see when people do it because it's an all volunteer organization of people that dedicate their time and their money uh, to keep doing this work. And so at the core of it, no matter what you want to say about it, it's it's the most dedicated people in ufology, bar none. Good deal, good deal. So um, my question would be, why is why did the government do what it's doing exactly? I'm sure. I mean, I want to hear your take on it and your angles on it because for me, they've almost made it boring. If if one thing the government can do is sort of sap that excitement and intel you know and vibrancy and dynamism out of something well you know there's something to be said for for publicly taking this approach of well we're going to focus on the military stuff because uh, you know military pilots are very highly credible and and we have track record in, of um sensor readings and we're able to document this stuff from a bunch of different standpoints but the hardest thing of all of it is, yeah, I mean, you guys have been doing this for 50 years and you're lying to us and you're telling us you're just now thinking about it. I think the funniest thing that, uh, that I, I mean, I laughed about it for a whole day when NASA came out and said that they were going to start taking a look at the possibility of UFOs. <laughs> uh, it's like, really? really? And so, you know, what these guys are doing, and we pointed out in the film, this is an old script. We had military officers reading the exact same stuff in the fifties, mm -hmm. and and it, when when you see it, what did you think of that, Miguel? When you when you saw the General Sanford compared to Elizondo and Bray and Moultrie side by <laughs> side, repeating almost the same exact lines. I, know, I, know. I mean, they could have at least hired a better screenwriter, right? <laughs> oh, that was pure <laughs> genius. Yeah, it's like. Uh... But the yeah, they've gotten tired. I think that's my point. They're still using the same playbook, but hey, we could we're faster, we're more nimble, and we can see through their BS. So yeah, and see if they can like, why are you story, doing it? <laughs> what they have to do, the mission of all of this, and when people argue there's the, a little bit of the debate in the film about rather 2017 was an organized rollout or if it happened organically. Right. Um the only thing I could say, because Ralph Blumenthal, who wrote the story, he's like, no, it was all it was all uh, circumstance and coincidence. But, you know, it's no coincidence that the TTSA was already organized, put together. Contracts were in place. The organization was right. formed. The legal paperwork was done. That wasn't a coincidence that it comes out in the New York Times. And a week later, Tom DeLong's on stage with these guys announcing, you know, the, the next step. Yeah. But um. The, uh, what they're doing is they've got a, the general story to the public has to be that, um, you know, this stuff, the last 50 years didn't happen and, and that this is all fresh and new. And right. now they're going to tell us whatever information they want to tell us and they're going to act like we're all discovering it together. Uh, but, but, you know, that's, 
we're not going to let them. And that's, that's what accidental truth is about is not letting them retell the story and whitewash the past. Exactly. Yeah. And you certainly bring that all throughout, uh, definitely all throughout the movie. You want to make sure we're on to you and we know what's going on. So, uh, it's uh, Vance. Any question from you or the audience? Well, Chester had one. Uh, also, I, I I wanted to say that my theory is that the government has courses that these people take that teach them what to say in public. Well, we know that that is absolutely true. We did it didn't make it into the film, but we actually have a letter of talking points that was sent from a retired guy, uh, Colonel, um, to uh, Susan Guff at the Pentagon on how to respond to the questions about the materials cases, what to say, what not to say, and where to refer the stuff. And, oh, yeah. uh, you know, Nick Pope has told me before, I have a great interview of him where he's talking about the things that he was trained on as far as averting questions. You know, like he'll say, oh, well, I'm very, very glad you asked that question. And then you don't answer it. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, and, and so there's all these things that they, it's called media training. And, and yes, they, these guys go through this and anybody that's front facing has gone through it and they all know how to, how to handle this stuff. The, uh, the freedom of information act response regarding the materials slipped through the cracks, uh, mostly because <laughs> the guy, Anthony Bregalia uh, um, is controversial inside ufology, but he threatened, um, the defense intelligence agency guy whose name was Tominsky for two years, threatened him with lawsuits and everything else. And this guy finally, I mean, he acquiesced and said, okay, here you go. Here's, here's materials that here's, you know, it was 400, pa 400 pages of reports, maybe, um, of materials and some of which we still don't know what they are. Wow. May induce invisibility. And what's funny about the materials reports is that they talk about these things and speculating about what use they might have, you know, like metallic glass. People right. have seen transparent aluminum in, remember back in the Star Trek movie? And we're all, oh, yeah, that might be pretty cool. Yeah, wow, <laughs> yeah, what's yeah. that? Well, it was a real thing. We had it. It had been, it had been developed by, by a company and patented by Raytheon way back in the, in the 60s. And then, ported forward to another company and now we have transparent metal but when they did that thing in star trek nobody knew that was a real thing that we really had it but we did and and the way they made it um it was back engineered it, the, the entire manufacturing process was back engineered and it's like it's it's very easy to to make that point and then we they have other materials they don't know what they are what okay. industry do we have that will create a material at great expense and then try to figure out what to do with it. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. That re now, this brings up Colonel Philip Corso, who also didn't appear in the film. Uh, what's the story with that? Because uh, talk about materials. Well, you know, the thing is, is that there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of controversy around Corso. Uh, and it, the whole thing's been addressed. I was just really careful to not put in stuff that is that that is going to be super easy to to debate. Uh, everything is is backed by some sort of evidence. Philip Corso wrote this book with um with Bill Burns. Um, there's a lot of controversy around the book itself. There is a lot of controversy around some of the technologies that Corso describes. You know, for instance, we already know that night vision was a thing 
back as early as World War II. So to say we got it off an alien spaceship, um, there have been very, very good um, evidentiary chains that some of these materials that he says came from Roswell we had already. And so I didn't want to put it in there because I just I didn't want to reignite that debate. And there was enough there was enough stuff in there that um, that people don't know about that does have a, a pedigree that is questionable and provable. Okay, great answer. Poor Chester is waiting for his answer. Speaking. Oh, of so I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no, not your fault. It's my fault. Yeah. I, I railroaded you off to the side. Um, he wanted to know if there are other formers in the film besides Lou. Oh, I thought that said farmers. Yeah, he said it's <laughs> formers. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, Chris Mellon's in it, um, accidentally admitting something very, very big that I don't think he meant to say. Um, you know, for all of you that are that are that are curious about the Chris Mellon interview, um, it's on it's a Zoom interview, so it's not like as well shot as the rest of the stuff in the film. But I point blank asked him. I said, after he came out, I said, well, Chris, we got two problems. The first problem is you came out in the Washington Post saying that the U.S. government had no interest in UFOs, and that was your official stance. But you were the Undersecretary of Defense for Intelligence under, I think, two administrations. And we have a mountain of evidence that that is just not true. So how do you reconcile that and expect us to still um, – you don't want to believe the things that you say. And his answer is absolutely spellbinding, absolutely stunning. And, and Miguel, you see, you've seen it, you know what I'm talking about? Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. And so yes, there are some farmers. Yeah. Uh, yeah okay. Those guys, if the aliens are the farmers, they're farming us. <laughs> <laughs> there are those who believe that. Well, what did Whitley Strieber say? Uh, we make a big mistake. Like, you're talking about wrong. We need to ask the right questions. He always said, uh, they're not embedded with us. We're embedded with them. We need to, like, find out. We need to realize who's the little guy in this whole thing. Yeah, I think that's a good point. But yeah, he, he's going to watch it tonight. Uh, he also wants to know if you're familiar with uh, Jason Giorgiani's meta hypothesis about UFOs. Oh, he's, he's following up. So, Lou still has his clearance. Um, and so do, and so does Chris. So he had to fight to keep it literally going to, to hiring lawyers and going into the defense intelligence agency. But the last I heard, Lou still has his clearance and, um, you know, and I'm sure Chris still has his clearance. So yes. I'm sorry. Go ahead and ask the, the yeah about uh, Jason Giorgiani. And do you know about Jason Giorgiani? And he he wrote a book on UFOs recently, and uh, he was wondering if you are familiar with him and his meta hypothesis. I saw that, but um, I, I'm not familiar with what he with his hypothesis. But can you outline it for me because it might tie in with something that that I actually am familiar with. Yeah, I'm not familiar with it. I read the book, but I, I can't remember what exactly what it was. Well, I mean, I'm pretty convinced that we're living in some kind of a, of, of a simulation. And um, Oh, he's got Gnostic you know. on us. Ron's got Well, no, us. think about this. If, if... <laughs> hey, I, I believe that, Dory. You're, you're preaching to the choir here. <laughs> and, and the question of, hey, are they little green men from Zeta Reticuli? Do they live inside the planet? Are they interdimensional? All those questions really become micro if you're not looking at the macro if we're living in a simulation all of those things can be true and if they're not true right now whoever's running it can make a quick keystroke and bam 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 so 
Um, and then if you look at, the, at what we already agree on as far as physics, it's understood and acknowledged by science that these solid objects around us are not really here. Um, they're, they're energy vibrating at a certain frequency. Our brains are interpreting these vibrations and creating the illusion of matter. Well, what is that? That's a simulation. And then if you look at the way the universe works, it's all based on very simple mathematical forms, Fibonacci right. sequence, pi. It's a program. Um, so even if you're not like, oh, I'm, I'm plugged into some matrix or something, um, the way our physical reality works is the same way the artificial realities that we're designing ourselves work. And so, yeah, it's a simulation. I hear. You. Yeah, I think with Jason is the idea of, I believe it was either the Prussians or before the Nazis that these Nordics found time travel and space travel. And then they went back to Atlantis and this and that. It's sort of the Nordic theory, but he expands it upon them. So, yeah, I didn't remember well, that. You know, here's the thing there's a lot of speculation um, and, and stuff that just has to live in the gray box. Uh, do you guys have time for a little joke? I'll tell you a story. Yeah, yeah. Sure. I have I have a standard <laughs> that um I, I have a standard that I apply and I jokingly call it the Midwest bar test. So <laughs> you're driving through the Midwest, you decide you're gonna pull into a bar, it's out in the middle of nowhere. A bunch of guys, families, you know, they're all sitting around watching a football game or something. Salt of the earth, average rural Americans. And you walk in there, and somehow or another, the conversation about UFOs come up. And they're curious. So they gather around you, and they say, well, well what, what can you tell us? And you say, well, you know, there's a, there's a lot of evidence that interaction with some kind of non-human intelligence goes back as far as recorded history, and, and there's a good argument for that. You know, they're all like, yeah, yeah, okay. And then you say, and, and there's a, a ton of evidence that the, uh, that the government knows a lot more than they're telling us. Mm -hmm. And then they're like, yeah, yeah, okay. And about this time, one of them buys you a beer. And then you say, uh, and it's going to be hard to find a scientist nowadays that doesn't agree that there's probably life in outer space. And everybody says, oh, heck yeah. You know, and they give you your beer and, and you're making new friends. And then... <laughs> You say, oh, yeah, and when I was 10 years old, I was age regressed and, and taken up into a spaceship, and then uh, I, I was suddenly 30 years old, and then I went and fought giant spiders on Mars, and then I came back in a space submarine, and I woke up in my bed when it was all over after 20 years the same night. Now, all of a sudden, you're getting dragged out of the bar. You're getting the beer they bought you broke over your head, and you're never going back there again. So I don't want to make films that don't pass the Midwest bar test because there's too many other people out there uh, selling crazy, unprovable stories that maybe they happen. Mm -hmm. I'm not, I'm not denigrating anybody's accounts. And if we're living in a simulation, anything's possible, but I don't want to put out stuff that doesn't make that kind of sense. No, it makes sense. <laughs> so the Midwest bar test is my joking uh, standard. It, will it pass the Midwest bar test? Hmm. Yeah. It doesn't get anywhere to make a film full of speculations and so forth. Anybody could say. Well, anything, people have right? built entire franchises on it. I'm not going to name names, but um, accidental truth is really about what can we prove and what, what what can we make a good case for, and can we move the ball forward in any significant way? And and I feel like I made a film that does that. It 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 literally will move the ball a little bit down the field instead of just being another hour and a half that you can spend because you dig UFO videos.
Yeah, that gets to just go watch. If you want all the possibilities, go watch Rick and Morty or something like that. Or Hey, Chester, uh, I'm not files. mentioning names. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I see. I'm not going to say the name, too. Yeah, that's a perfect name. <laughs> and besides, I kind of uh, I blended several stories into one. You know, just mm -hmm. Exactly. And any resemblance to anybody living or dead is strictly coincidental. <laughs> I thought it was great that you got Bob Bigelow on there. You know, I've for years, I used to listen to him on Art Bell, but uh, I'd never seen him. And I didn't know that he had a module in the space station. That was pretty cool. Well, you know, Bigelow is an important part of the story. And the interview that we used is, was actually conducted by George Knapp. Um, and when I asked George to to let me use the the clip, I offered to license it from him, and he was like, "No." And um, I'm like, "But dude, this is a, this is the story. I got to tell it." And so I hired a fair use attorney, and um, yeah, George is going to be pissed off. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Don't meet him at a bar in the Midwest, I guess. Well, you know, it's funny but... because I ran into him and Jeremy Corbell at, at AlienCon. We 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 were hanging out for a minute, and it was really cool. And then um and then George came by and actually bought. I I wanted to give him one of the shirts for free. He came by and bought one. And um, you know, if 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 I had anything to say to George about the fact that that happened, um, it's that you know. I hope you respect the fact that this is a piece of investigative journalism and I, and I just had to tell my story and I don't think he's going to be mad. I, I, I think that he's cool. He can be kind of gruff though. I ran into a, into him at a UFO conference. He's sitting at a bar with Jaime Misson. Jaime was the greatest guy. He was so really so nice. George, Robert, rah, rah, you know, like, Jaime Misson is, is, is how I started MUFON television. Uh, Paula Harris hired me to MC her conference in Laughlin and um, I went, I was backstage and um, Jaime Masson had set up a laptop and he was streaming uh, the, the conference. He tapped into our video feed and stuff. Cause I was doing, I think I, I was helping with the AV or I was doing it. I can't remember, but, um, and, and the, one of the high ups in MUFON was, was there and I had just met them for the first time and we're all standing around watching Jaime stream. And, um, Jaime goes, Oh, you know, you guys should be doing something like this. And I, and I, and I looked over at the, at the guy and I said, yeah. So I actually went up to my hotel. I registered MUFONtelevision.com as a website. I came back and after six months of negotiation, we had a deal and we created MUFON TV. Um, I did, I did oh. the, uh, I built it, but it was all because of Jaime. Yeah. <laughs> Very cool. Yeah. He's great. I'll re always remember him. At the same time, do you get a little bit of, uh, I might say, enjoyable sh Schroedenfreud? Because four years, five, six years ago, all three of us were the kooks, the hippies, the woo-woo, new agers. And now the skeptics are having to sort of at least backtrack and have their foots in their mouth. And they're the ones that have to come up with some amazing, you know, extreme explanations to go against the government narrative. It's like it's been flipped. We're vindicated in a way. There are a lot of people out there that I think feel way more vindicated than me personally. Mm -hmm. um, I've always erred on the side of, you know, what's logical and what can we make a reasonable case for. And MUFON is about the scientific understanding of, of the phenomenon. So I've never been like out on a limb uh, being mocked, but the vindication for the entire field and plus what we're doing in Washington, D.C. You know, we could talk about that if you want. 
sure. um, this vindication is is it's going to get better. Although they're trying to make it worse, but it's it's going to get better. Yeah, but they do. I mean, some of these, uh, as Jeff Kripal calls them, they're not uh, they're not skeptics. They're professional debunkers, and they will. I mean, like like Dean, you mentioned Dean Radin, and some of the stuff they come up against him, even though his experiments, his data sound, they will. They're like bending reality to uh, you know just to marginalize them. So they'll they'll bend reality like like any fundamentalist. But oh well. Yeah, so um, I, I was actually on a show um, that was largely Christian fundamentalists talking about the UFO thing, and I'm like, "Look, the Vatican's already come out and said that you know extraterrestrial life doesn't threaten spiritual belief," and these guys are like, "Well, yeah, but they're angels or demons." I'm like, "That might be true, but there's probably other things too." We will pray for you. I was shocked. I'm like, "Come on, man! At least be open-minded enough." I'm I'm open-minded with you. You should be open-minded with with other people because the, the closed-mindedness is what creates this this cognitive dissonance that uh, causes these divisions and makes us, uh, you know, impossible to agree on stuff. We need to understand that 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 the universe has a quantum nature to it, and that quantum nature is that positive and negative can exist in the same space at the same time, and that applies through everything. We have collective. A good, uh, consensus reality where we all agree that we're living under blue skies and the grass is green and water's wet. And then we have subjective reality where we're all living our own version of it, but it still has to jive. No, well said, well said. And I would agree. And oh, why don't you mention oh, you, what are you doing in Washington, uh, Washington upcoming? Well, we've been, we've been in Washington. MUFON is, no. has been working with a, a lobbying group called A10 and Associates, Jessica Taco. This woman has moved mountains for us in Washington. We've had over 300 meetings with sitting members of Congress. We are now supplying quarterly reports about worldwide UFO sightings directly to both intelligence committees. Um, and the hearings with Andre Carson, I personally, Two months ago, had lunch with Andre Carson, and believe me, there was nothing I didn't tell him. And I have video of me sitting in Congressman Tim Burchett's office uh, that, that is is not part of the film, but but the, the whole interview, the very beginning, I set it up with two cameras. I lined him out on everything, going all the way back to Roswell up until now, and it's on tape. Um, right. And so, you know, a lot of people are saying, oh, yeah, we're doing stuff in Washington, but we can actually prove it. The hearings that Andre Carson chaired, um, we were very responsible for helping to get those done. And we had some influence on the languaging for the, for the defense act that opened it up for whistleblowers and held the military accountable. There was some specific language in that, that we were able to um, influence and, and help change. And so Buffon's been behind the scenes in DC getting stuff done. It's been very, very exciting to be a part of it. Hmm. Uh, Speaking of DC, what's your uh, take on Stephen Greer and his disclosure project? I just got an email from uh, Greer's people today. Um, I have done the red carpet hosting for all of his movies, and they just asked me to do it for the next one that's coming up. Um, so and what I mean by that is we bring the cameras, we live stream, and I'm the guy standing there in the suit interviewing Dr. Greer and interviewing all the other people. And it's it, it's really, it's, it's kind of cool, and I'm really super stoked that, that he offered to bring me back for that. Um, he's done significant work. Um, 
but sometimes the uh you know in, in my opinion the the work is is significant it's good but there's also a lot of well you have to believe it this way or 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 you're just not tuned in and i'm not a um i i don't think that we need to be that stringent but i respect dr greer a lot and i'm super stoked that he's he's having me back all of maybe now not but you know we'll <laughs> what about his witnesses you know all the people that were in you know that were he tried to get briefings at washington and so forth he's had his he's had his day in dc and uh, and we know about because we're talking to some of the same people so we know what's going on um and and the involvement there now and, you know now everybody's running to put together how are we going to protect whistleblowers because there's whistleblower oh, protection yeah. in this legislation so mufon has actually hired whistleblower attorneys and if anybody is is a whistle a genuine whistleblower they come to mufon we have an infrastructure in place to protect them as we navigate this because what's happening is sure there's this new law but nobody knows how it's going to unfold nobody knows how it's going to play but I can tell you something that there are a number of people that are already lined up that want to tell their story. And, um, and some of them are very, very significant. And so once the legalities are done, um, Lou Elizondo is very involved in this process and these people, and he's working on his own doc that's, that's going to come out and probably, um, you know, put a, put icing on the cake on mine. Um, but as soon as it's all worked out for these people, you're going to see testimony behind closed doors. You're going to see testimony in the public and you're going to see a lot more disclosure. Right now, it's all just the logistics of how does this work? How do we protect these people? What are the true legal definitions of what they can say and what they can't say? Um, and then once that's done, there's going to be some people coming forward to talk to Congress. It's, it's, it's absolutely going to happen. And we're talking about serious people that we know, know stuff, you know, guys like potentially, um, Eric Davis is, is going to be able to say a lot more than he said. Um, some of these scientists studying some of the stuff uh, that we know have studied materials and debris. Um, so it's going to be it's going to be very interesting. And yeah, maybe you'll get some deathbed confessions along the way, too. Right. <laughs> People that don't need the lawyers because they're on their way out. Well, you know, you'd wonder why we don't have those now. And, you know, I think when you're when you're read into these programs, um, one of the things that I've grown to suspect is that it's not always easy to force somebody to do something. I could say, Miguel, you better keep this a secret or I'll, you know, I'll, I'll run over your dog. Uh, but it's hard to force people to do that. But it's a lot easier to get them to go along with the program, in this case, you know, keeping information classified, if they truly understand why it has to be that way. Oh, true. And it, you know, one example that, that I'll make is look what happened to Marco Rubio. Oh, yeah, UFOs. Oh, yeah, blah, blah, blah. You know, he gets pulled behind closed doors in that hearing after the public congressional hearings. And I don't think I've heard him say a word about it since. Hmm. And, and nobody came out of those hearings talking, that not even saying, oh, yeah, we were presented with some very compelling stuff. Nobody said anything. Nobody said a word. And, and, um, you know, when, when Kirsten Gillibrand chaired his last hearings, Hmm. We know she, she she just played so like for lack of a better word she just played played a certain level of of not knowing about any of this stuff but we know she knows about this stuff because we've briefed her and we've shown her this stuff and 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 we and she knows the story and she knows what's going on and and 
I don't want to get MUFON in trouble with our friends in Congress, but why we did issue an official press release after that saying, you know, we know better than this and we need more transparency. But that was as far as we could go. I was, I was with Alan Steinfeld live during the hearings doing his show. Mm-hmm. And I was just like shaking my head. I'm like, this is so hard to watch. You know, here's this scientist, a credible scientist sitting here talking about, well, yes, we're going to form this program and we have these things. This is a guy that has just been put into a brand new custom silo and nobody's telling him anything and they're dropping UFO pictures on him. <laughs> and, they, and clearly he, has, he hasn't been read in or if he has, he's a better you know uh, actor than he is a scientist. And so it, it's, it's just it's baffling what we're seeing. Lord. Accidental truth. I, I, I joke because it came out the day before the, the hearings. I said, well, you can watch Accidental Truth, then you can watch the Senate hearings, and then you can figure out who to believe. <laughs> too much, too much. It's awesome. Funny. Yeah, it, uh, it's awesome. Well, as we, we get to the end, I wanted to ask you maybe uh, one last sort of more relaxed question. What are your top five UFO films? Not documentaries, just films. Well, see, now if I don't mention my friends, I'm going to get in trouble. Yeah, so, that is true. That is true. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, the granddaddy of the mall. You can give us 10 if you want and include your friends. The the granddaddy of the mall, um, undeniably, Chariots of the Gods. Mm-hmm. The first and only mainstream theatrical UFO movie ever. Uh, completely broke ground. Became one of the best-selling books of all time. Yeah. Um, so Eric Von Doniken... And hey, Eric, him and I have had this conversation, uh, will be the all-time king of those UFO documentaries. The best one ever, the most relevant, the most impactful, the most groundbreaking, and the most widely distributed. So hands down to Eric. James did a fantastic job on the phenomenon. Absolutely fantastic. Um, uh, I like mine. I put it in the top five. In fact, right now on the Apple charts, let me look. It's really funny. James and I have been texting back and forth and kind of picking on each other. Yeah, um, <laughs> on the Apple chart, which is the top done, top documentaries in the world based on uh, iTunes, yeah, yeah. James is at number one with Moment of Contact. He's at number three with The Phenomenon. And I'm at number four with Accidental Truth. Awesome. And so, and so we've been texting back and forth with each other, kind of like, I, I'm like, James, man, keep that spot warm for me, but don't stay too long. So it's, <laughs> <laughs> it's, 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 you know, and I was joking around with Carolyn Corey came over last night and she's done some amazing stuff. She, A Tear in the Sky is one of her recent ones. And I think that that definitely deserves attention. Um, so for sure for that one. So that's four, right? Yeah, that's four. Um, what about uh, Hollywood movies? Well, you know, that's, they're not UFO documentaries. Mm-hmm. I think ancient aliens and the people of Prometheus, as much as the ufologists trash them, that show has got to be um, recognized for what it is. And Kevin Burns yeah. did so much to move this field forward and never got credit for it. He was never you know, never speaking at very rarely speaking at conferences. Nobody, nobody knew who he was. He's got to be the unsung hero of UFO related media. Even if the show has its sensationalistic aspects, yeah. it's a TV show, but ancient aliens has made a huge contribution. Oh, no doubt. No doubt. So yeah, I mean, James's films are always good. He's a pioneer. Um, I've, I've made a couple 
but I don't, if, if people are telling me, and, and you said it, you, that accidental truth is one of the best UFO docs you've ever seen. Uh, yeah. I, 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 I just love hearing that, but on the other side of it, um, I'm not going to, my phone just decided to talk. I, I'm, I'm not getting egoed out about that because I don't want to be humbled afterwards. But a lot of people have said that. And, and if it's true, then I'm just very, very proud of having done it. Yeah, yeah. Good job. And yeah, we needed it. It had to be done. And it had to be you, Ron. It's as simple as that. So destiny, the stars were aligned and we're very happy for that. So but yeah, I think we're at the end. For those of you in the chat, as always, very interesting questions, very interesting discussions. Uh, Vance, thanks for keeping us company. Oh, Greg, glad to fly in, you know. Hey, thank yeah. you for your feedback on the film. And, um, you know, I, everybody out there, it, it, it was only available for purchase until yesterday, but now you can rent it for as little as five bucks. So um, I think I saw it at $3.99 on Amazon. But they I think that's for the. Yeah, they, their prices fluctuate. But you know what? Yeah, Here's they, the thing. The algorithm changes the prices. Depending. Obviously, I spent a lot of money to make the film, but I didn't do it for money. And I just want everybody to see it. And so I want it to be accessible to everybody. Hopefully, it doesn't get bootlegged before I get my money back. But um, oh, one last thing. You want to see something funny? Well, Chester already has a copy, so you can. <laughs> Guy, guys in the audience, if you Google Accidental Truth t-shirt, you are going to see that there are hundreds of of people who have stolen my movie poster and are selling it on t-shirts online. And, ah. and we have our own factory for making t-shirts. So if you want to, if you want to support the film that way, we've got a great line of swag. We have the, um, can I do a plug? Do of course, time? please do. Yeah. So we have a very small number of accidental truth movie posters that are autographed by Matthew Modine and myself. Um, we, that you can get, and some of the proceeds of this stuff is going to help the animation team in Ukraine because they all lost their computers during the war. Oh, um, we have the Accidental Truth mouse pad, which, you know, everybody needs one of these. And then we have the, the coffee mugs. We have the T-shirt. The Accidental Truth T-shirt is so cool that thousands of people are stealing it and <laughs> selling it online. So oh, America, if you go to America. Accidental Truths with an S, you can get the swag accidental truths with an s.com and if okay. you google accidental truth t-shirt there, there's more people selling the t-shirt than i think watched the movie so far it's frightening oh, interesting well this is very did you do well, it isn't it isn't it awful i mean every one of them has just stolen my art off the website and put it on t-shirts it's actually chester again. it's accidental truths with an s.com accidental truths.com and the uh, the t-shirts are awesome and every one of these T-shirts, I I I, I own the machine that manufactures them. Every one of these is handmade by me. So I made the movie, and I'm the guy making the T-shirts because I just feel like just another way to connect with people. So when you get one from our website, you're getting an original, actually made by by my own hands. Yeah, and if cool. you get caught with a bootleg, you'll be abducted on the spot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> The the attorneys are like, don't worry about it right now. Um, we, we'll go after it later. But right now, I mean, it's just helping to make uh, you know, more making the movie more famous. But free publicity, and if I've, I've never, popular, I, I never expected that. I spent like twenty grand on this whole setup to make T-shirts because after I made the movie, I was I just didn't want to sit in front of the computer all the time for another year. 
So I, I <laughs> set up a couple little side businesses involved actually having to move my body and not be plugged in and making t-shirts and mouse pads and stuff was one of them. And so when I found all these people ripping off the t-shirts on the, on the internet, I just, I, all I could do is shake my head. It's, it's awful. Well, it's a trend. It's hitting somewhere. It might end up on TikTok and a million people watch it. So yeah, you never know how these things go. So yeah. So there's only 250 of the signed posters. They all come with a picture of Matthew signing them and a certificate of authenticity. I think we have a, hundred and something left and very cool very and like cool. i said i'm not trying to make money off the merchandise the, I, i'm trying to help out the guys in ukraine um because they they they, were, they stayed with this movie literally through hell and um one day you get a videotape of a missile flying over the guy's house and the next day maybe you get a finished animation shot it was rough I felt so bad for them. One of the guys had to go do civil defense at the very beginning of the war. He was gone for three months. I didn't know if he was dead or alive. Wow. And um, so, you know, that, that whole crisis over there hit home for this production. Wow. Well, I'll, I will have it on the show notes, both when the YouTube video comes out after in a few minutes when we're done and tomorrow when we put out the audio version, iTunes, Spotify and all that all. I'll make sure I'll put the the link there. So if you guys see the link, click it and support Accidental Truth and all those creators who have helped make this make this a thing and help them out in some really hard times. So, but uh, I yeah. genuinely hope that people out there enjoy the film. Um, it just it means a lot to me to be able to have made it. it you know, it's like uh, I feel blessed. Yes, it's a great film. Highly recommend it. And yes, Ron, thank you very much for coming. We, of course, look forward to a future future conversation. Anytime you want to come on the show, let us know. It's been a blast. It's been enlightening. And uh, good night, everyone. Good night, Ron. And thanks, everybody, for coming. Thanks, everybody. Thank you for coming. Thanks, and, Ron. Um, hope you enjoy the film. Thanks, Chester. I, I appreciate it. <laughs> Chester. Chester stocked yeah. up. <laughs> i'll send you a picture of me making your shirt yes <laughs> love it there you go. all right take care everyone. all right guys and there you have it you shining crazy diamonds ron providing a fantastic discussion from a fantastic film now let us to our interview with barbara delong on her book before roswell the intensity has only just begun. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to hero.co to shop today. This is the AM Byte interview. And with us, we have the pleasure of hosting Barbara DeLong to discuss her book, Before Roswell The Secret History of UFOs. Barbara, thank you very much for coming on the show. Oh, it's my pleasure. Uh, this is this book has been a very exciting book for me, and uh, I have had lots of interviews on it, more than I expected, actually. Oh, well, the interest is there, and we shall plow into it. And I think your book is very important because uh, 
for the audience it really does something that nobody else has done uh catalogs all the ufo encounters throughout history in detail and most writers have a, like a, a thesis or a tagline they go here they go there but this is a book every person interested in extraterrestrials should have on their bookshelf because it is an invaluable reference but before we get to that let us welcome Vance the Moondog. Vance, how are you doing? Oh, I'm fine. Just beamed down, but I see this cow next to me here. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, UFOs, as you know, has been a long interest of mine ever since my grandmother's uh, bookshelf offered me the Donald Kehoe, uh, mm. you know, Project Blue Book. Uh -huh. um, yeah. So, um, you know, and Billy Meyer and all these guys. I'm going to ask you about Billy Meyer later. But uh, anyway, looking forward to this. Well, thank you. Well, awesome. Well, before we get started on Before Roswell, The Secret History of UFOs, Barbara, tell us, how did you become interested in this subject? <laughs> um, well, one landed on my campus in the 60s. <laughs> That'll do it. Yeah. And, and for me, that was a turning point. Um, it landed on the campus and then took off. And when it took off, it, sweep, swoop, it swooped over my dorm and it blacked out the entire sky. So um, I, I like to say if it had had a VIN number, I would have been able to give it to you. <laughs> um, and the fascinating thing about that was that um, certainly we were all crowded around windows and looking out the window to see if we could see anything. And when we did, when it did take off, People were screaming, people were running, people were hiding. People, literally, people were under their beds and in the closets. And there were one or two of us that were just looking and saying, oh, I want to ride in that. And, and then even more that didn't see a thing. And, and in many ways, to me, it was more or less like um, you had to have a certain level of consciousness in order to see it. And so um, those of us that saw it, you know, compared notes. But the next day, uh, it wasn't on the, in the newspapers or anything. And when it was cited originally, they shut down all of the um, service to the three airports that were in the area. Wow. Um, so there was definitely a reason. And this was in 66, where um, J. Allen Hynek was in the area calling everything swamp gas that he could see. Um, <laughs> I swear to you, if he'd seen a tea kettle with steam coming out of it, he would have said it was swamp gas. <laughs> Probably. But um, he was not able to, to, to do that with this particular sighting. And a number of years later, a lot of years later, 20 or so, uh, no more than that, actually, um, somebody wrote a book called In Focus, and it chronicled all of the authenticated actual UFO sightings in the U.S. And my my... College one was one of them. And, you know, at that point, I wanted to buy a, a couple of cases of the books and just send them to everybody that had made fun of me for so very long. <laughs> but I, I did not keep, you know, in touch with those people that thought I was a drunk or whatever. Right. So um, and then I had that author on my radio show Nightlight and I was interviewing him and um Somebody in the chat room kept sending me messages saying, I'm an authority in the field. I can add to your conversation. And I, I kept thinking, 
no, no, I'm not going to fall for that and bring somebody who doesn't know what they're talking about on the show. I can't do that. <laughs> um, but my guest had to leave. And so I felt, well, at least I'd have somebody to talk to. So I got, I pulled this guy onto the show and it was Patrick Cook who wrote the Bible UFO books. And he had the Bible UFO website for many, many years. And he was an authority in the field. And we got to talking and the more we talked, um, it turned out he actually came out to Connecticut where I lived and he moved in with me and we got married. Oh. Not, not quite that fast, but, <laughs> and then a year and a half after we were married, he passed away. And um, so then I had his website and my website to take care of. And his website was huge, but because he had had cancer and, and not been attentive to it, um, his website needed a great deal of work and I just couldn't do it and mine. So I made sure that everything that was on his website was in one of his books. And the, the few things that were not, I put onto my website. And one of the things I put onto my website uh, was his list of the UFO sightings. And Before Roswell is a wonderful chronicle, but um, the, the website has probably four or five times more information on it. Um, and it does call, it comes right up to the year 2000 as far as sightings. So if anybody's interested in seeing what came before this, it's, it's on barbaradelong.com. But um, so it sat there for a while and, and I would go over it now and then and add something that I thought, you know, was valid. And earlier this year, Ken Godsworth called me and said, um, asked me if I, he could use the material on the website. And I said, of course, go ahead. And then he called me back and he said, do you want to co-author the book? And I said, sure. Not knowing it was going to be take work, but it, you know, I, of course. And um, so we did, it's mostly the material from the website, but he's, he has made, put it in sections and in between the sections, he's written a little commentary. And so when he got that done, he sent it to me and I added my two bits to each commentary. And um, he wrote the synopsis and I wrote the conclusion. And we both added to each other's work. So, and then he published it and it came out on February 17th was within days mm -hmm. of the UFOs floating over um, the United States and being shot down right couldn't have been better planned <laughs> oh the balloons you're talking about it was just one well it was the one main balloon but the other two they didn't describe as balloons and one of them was an octagon shaped metal oh, so really? we have never we've never heard about what the other two were or if they were shot down yeah, that is convenient. And thank you very much for sharing. Uh, very fascinating. So just to back up a little, Barbara, when you saw that UFO land on your campus, what did it look like? Was it uh, the cigar shape, the cylinder, saucer? No, it, was, it was a saucer. Uh, okay. And um, when it took off and, and swooped, now I, I'm going to say it, it hung there for a minute. But I think I was probably hyperventilating by then. So it probably didn't hang for as long as, as it felt like. And then it went and it was gone. There was no noise. There was no air displacement. There was 
nothing. But we were able to follow it in the night sky. And it, it zoomed toward a larger light that was in the sky. And as we watched during the night, several other little lights joined the big light. So um, I have no idea what it was. I, you know, I, I can't say that, you know, I don't know if it was manned. I, I did, it was an unidentified flying object who piloted it or anything like that. I have no idea. Oh, I'm with you. I've had two encounters in my life and I always leave it open because I'm like, yeah, this, this is not uh, technology that is known to the public, what I saw. It could be some sort of advanced breakaway secret weaponry, or it could be uh, entities from outer space. I, I kind of leave it all on the table. But what I saw was, uh, was uh, I don't know, paranormal, supernatural. Are you the same way, or do you have a theory of what's going on? Well, I would say as far as any of the uh, sightings that have taken place currently, even, Right after, you know, when J. Allen Hynek started to make his stuff, do his stuff, um, it, it feels to me that you can't tell. You just can't tell if it's Russian, Chinese, Korean, um, Japanese, one of ours, uh, and or one of theirs. You just don't know. And and I think what what bothers me so is since Roswell. Um, movies and, and books even have have put out such material on UFOs that everybody's scared of them. And I, 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 I didn't get that feeling. Um, you know, I, I don't know as I would have run on board just to check it out, but <laughs> but but I, I wasn't afraid. And since since all of the movies and everything about aliens and um, my my goodness, uh, it, it's 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 terrifying what they've done with this whole process, because if you look at the, as at the experiences in the book, they're all quite, they're all quite mellow. They're not, they're not terrified. As, as a matter of fact, in, um, in the 18, 1897, I think it was, or eight, I'm, I'm not as good at the dates as, as, um, as Ken is, but in, in that time frame, um, one of them, uh, was it was it was it, it was in need of repair, and it landed and it attempted to make repairs. It took off, and it hit a windmill, <laughs> and it crashed. And and they they have they they say that there were six passengers in that vehicle, but and, but when they when they went for the remains, you know, after it had stopped burning, they couldn't find any bodies, but they did find a little person, a little man that they assumed was the pilot. And the people in Aurora, Texas, actually um, took him and gave a, and, and gave him a funeral and buried him in their cemetery. And then any number of years later, um, one of the agencies from the government tried to go and find find that, and they wanted to, you know, dig up the body to examine it. And the people in Aurora um, wouldn't tell them where it was. Huh. Wonder what happened to the ship? Oh, it, it burned. It, it it disintegrated. It was. I think. No, wait. I think they did make some some. Um, they took some of the metal and they made um, 
little metal things out of it for the townspeople. <laughs> it's a charm bracelet. <laughs> Keychains, that kind of right. thing. Yeah. yeah. What year is that again? Like the 1800s somewhere? Eight, 1897, yeah. I think. Yeah. Um, you'd, you'd wish that they would put all of the, yeah. The title of the thing on the, in the newspaper was Windmill Demolishes It. You know, Firesign Theater um, um, did a, a did a send up on on that uh, and their album. I don't know if you're familiar with them. There's, they have an album called Everything You Know Is Wrong, and it, it's all about the saucers and so forth. It's kind of a parody of the Art Bell Show. Oh yeah. Yeah, and, and and they have that. He was a nice little guy, or something like that. They had the southern accents and everything. That's where I first heard about that. Well, you know, it's it's. I'm sure, like every culture, there are good guys and bad guys, but. Um, it, I just get the feeling that, I mean, there are a couple of places where people have been so frightened they've, they've killed whoever was coming out of the ship. Um, and, and then, of course, you know, it's, it's during a time frame where the thought of doing an autopsy or anything like that is just absolutely not heard of. And Roswell, look what we did at Roswell. Um, I believe one of the, there, I, I believe there were, there were, um, survivors of Roswell. Um, from, from what I could tell from what uh, material Patrick had, and I read that there were survivors, and they were, they were put under a microscope. They weren't treated as, as a living being. They were treated as um, some sort of experiment that had to be dissected. And, and, you know, I mean, if that's how we treat people who come from another world or another planet or whatever, if what we want to do is cut them up and see how, how their innards look like ours, I, I wouldn't blame the aliens for not coming here. Me either. <laughs> no, I, I personally think the earth is under quarantine. I don't think there are any real, real aliens visiting, visiting us. Um, I mean, anymore to the extent that they used to, because, you know, our, our reaction to something unfamiliar is to kill it. Yeah, you don't hear about those cases anymore very much, do you? No, not at all. I mean, you hear about abductions and I haven't gotten into abductions with any of this. Um, but with, with this book, I, I agree that, that, you know, on top of the fact that I helped to write it, but it's, it's an amazing chronology of, of how throughout time going back, you know, to, I think the last event that we have in here, well, Bible stuff for sure. Um, it's, it's, we go back 270,000 years as far as sightings go. So, um, obviously we don't get paper clippings from there, but, but from, from manuscripts and things like that, it's very obvious that that's what they're talking about. So it's, it's something that's been with us as long as we've been here. And, you know, it's, it's, it's just very possible that they've been here longer than we have. I've heard that theory that they might even be Atlanteans or then there's the time travel theory that they're us from the future. So oh, yeah. many, so many different things. What's the earliest, the very earliest um, uh, story that we have about uh, UFOs in the sky? You know, the 270,000 years ago one. That is from a Sumerian king list. And 
the god kings and the fact that they re they reigned in the sky and they were able to fly. That's the very, very first one. Uh, there's Indian, the Indians in the Vedas, I think, had uh, stories about. Um, Absolutely. Uh, yeah, and the uh, flying in the sky also. Absolutely. Oh, sure. And I mean, it's, it's, it's amazing. You, you go back and then, you know, 43,000 years ago, there's rock carvings um, in China. Uh, 13 and 14,000 years ago, there are um, paintings in some of the caves in France. I mean, they've been with us a very long time. Oh, yeah. And, and none of them show any sort of violence. I mean, you, you see cave, cave drawings and carvings of people hunting bison and, and all sorts of different animals. And, and there's violence there. But when you, when you see the uh, UFOs, it, there's no violence connected with them. And I'm not saying that, 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 it's, that they're not violent. But I am saying that... that They've never really shown violence towards us. If you look at during World War um, II, the um, Battle of Los Angeles, the saucer that, that flew up the coast and then hovered over L.A., we set planes up. We had searchlights oh, yeah. on it. And we were shooting missiles at it like really? crazy. And they were bouncing off. And then falling to the ground, there were casualties, not because the alien ship did anything. We were hitting our own people. <laughs> so, you know, it's, it's kind of like they've never, they've had reason. I mean, that's a good reason to, you know, shoot back, but they never have. You know, though, in Brazil, I've heard of sightings in Brazil and abduction cases in Brazil where, where, where um, there was an exception to that rule of, you know, peaceful visitors um have, have you are you familiar with those um I, i'm familiar with some of them um over an airfield in brazil yeah there was one guy that was abducted and um they're missing people and so forth i can't remember the details but that's the one place that i've heard of in the world that um that comes out with stories where there were you know harmful aliens that were you know either kidnapping people who never came back or or or, uh, or harming them. Um, maybe I can make can look it up as you're talking to Miguel here. Well, in Gallipoli, Gallipoli, Turkey, 1915, during a battle in World War One, a regiment of British Army men, it was the first the first Fourth Norfolk, disappeared in an attempt to take Hill Number 60 at uh, Servia Bay near Gallipoli. And in front of 22 witnesses, the regiment, over 800 men strong, marched into a strange fog formation. And um, and when the when the fog lifted, they were gone. Uh -huh. they, were, they were all posted as missing. And the um, they thought the whole regiment had been captured. And after the war, Britain demanded the return of the regiment, but the Turkeys, the Turks, denied any knowledge of it. So no trace of the right regiment has ever been found. That's 800 men. Wow. Yeah, it's cool stuff. <laughs> yeah, a lot. Yeah, just so much going on. And I mean, yeah, you said we don't see these as much, but also what do you make make out of our uh, so honest and transparent government suddenly being very 
admitting a few of those in the last five to 10 years. What's going on with that, Barbara? What do you think is going on? Well, I think they had to because, really? because you know, they had no choice. But I don't think they've done anything that they haven't given us any information as to the craft that they have, that they've reverse engineered. They, they, they don't give us any. I mean, I, frankly, I'm just disgusted with the government. Um, <laughs> yeah. other, other places have released everything they've got. And with people today, the way that, that anybody can use the Internet, I would think it would be to their benefit. I mean, we've got MUFON who does terrific work in, in chronicling these sightings and taking down all the information possible. Government isn't doing that. Um, I have a feeling the government doesn't really care. Mm, and, really? And I don't think so. Um, if they cared, they would be doing something. You know, they, they want to get us off the planet to Mars or, or the moon or wherever. But they're not really paying any attention to anything that's going on on the planet, except denying they have information, which is ridiculous. And and it, it should be very clear to people that after, at World War II, that we had no scientists that could do anything or knew anything about UFOs, because we had Project Paperclip, that, which brought all of the scientists from Germany over to this country to booster our missile program. So, you know, and Werner von Braun, he he openly said that he had had um help from out there. That is some true, of it. Yeah. But um no our government is a joke. I mean, you know, you watch <laughs> it. I'm gonna get censured one of these days, but um <laughs> but it's a joke. Yeah, they've had gun camera footage for years, you know, um, that we've been taking pictures of them. And it's only recently <laughs> that they uh, came out with any. The Belgians, remember the Belgian sightings? Yeah. That, that was the first time the government actually came clean with uh, actual radar and, and uh, statistics on, you know, how fast they were going and so forth. But for years I was saying, well, all right, where's the gun camera footage when the government say, oh, we don't have anything, we can't. But it's all there. It's classified because they're afraid that there might be technology that uh, they can capture, or if, and of course, people think they've already captured that technology. They don't want anybody else to get it. Isn't it stupid? If we all work together, we would be so much further ahead. That's for sure. <laughs> no, it really does. The reason, the reason that that I am so gung ho on the book is that I think it's a perfect, it's a perfect um, addition to high school maybe senior in high school, freshman in college. But if you taught history through where these different things happened, and if you said there was a UFO that, you know, happened here or there or wherever, I mean, it to me, it makes so much sense to 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 give to give the kids something they can chew on as far as recognition as to what was happening. And I think it was um let me see, do I have it written down someplace? I, I think the thing that, that, that I was, yeah, it was in 1917, two things in 1917 that really, um, I think were impressive. Um, it was during one of the Fatima sightings and there was a, a, a disc at one of the sightings that was reported, but even better. Have, have you guys read through the stuff I get, gave you or not? 
Yes, I read through the whole book. It was fascinating. Okay. Yes. So Belgium, 1917, the first human being to shoot down a UFO was the Red Baron. Oh, really? The real Red Baron. Wow. I mean, he not only yeah. shot down ADM and enemy planes for Germany, right. during, but, but he was also the first human in history to gun down a spaceship. Someday on Jeopardy, that will be a question. No doubt. <laughs> Where did it crash? Belgium someplace. <laughs> I wonder who got that one. It, it, it crashed uh, near a wood. It went up in flames. The pilot got out and ran into the woods. They never saw the pilot again. And it, it burned so hot. It's basically there's nothing left when they stop burning. It must be made out of wood in the early days. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? But um, it's just, I think that there's, there's so much history in our history that we're not told. It's, it's really, it's defeating if you want kids to remember a history that is already tweaked like crazy. And most of the stuff didn't happen that way. Um, I, I taught school for 25 years. And one of the kids was talking to me and said, well, I know who discovered America. And I said, who? And he said, Christopher Columbus. And I said, really? And, you know, he said, yes. And I said, where did he land? Well, he landed in America. I said, no, he didn't. No. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I got cens censored by my principal. Oh, boy. Because, well, it's the truth. He didn't land in America. He never discovered, first, America wasn't lost. And second, um, you know, everybody and their uncle had been here before Columbus. Mm -hmm, yeah. Vikings. Oh, at least. And, and the Chinese and, and the Danes. And probably, um, probably uh, Columbus had um, a copy of the Perry Reese map. So whoever drew that map, um, and the map was a compilation of a lot of other old maps, but he had a map, so he knew where he was going. So, you know, again, history, you know, you, you, in order to find what real history is, I don't know where you go these days. I really don't. Oh, yeah. Certainly not at the textbooks they give out. There's so much more oh. that they've kept from us. And, but again, I... I keep thinking the government is being stupid. I, I think that it's almost like they're being nefarious because, again, they hide a lot of the truth. And I know sometimes people say, well, the population is not ready for the truth. And I tell them the old saying, if it can be destroyed by the truth, it deserves to be destroyed by the truth. So this stuff needs to come out. But then I'm like, why are they sort of releasing it bit by bit? Uh, there's some sort of control or anything. I mean, at the very least, Barbara. I swear they've made UFOs seem boring. It's not well, as exciting with their stupid articles and admissions. <laughs> I think they're only releasing material we all already know. Right. You know, it's, and what else is new? You know, we've known this for decades. They're not they're not letting us see anything. And and I'm I'm sure that the government does have secret sites where they're where they're trying to develop all sorts of stuff. I'm sure that they have medical stuff that is far above anything that that real doctors can can use i don't know why we are being held so 
deaf, dumb, and blind when there's so much out there that could make life better for all of us. Easily, easily. So so you are on the side that the, the Roswell 1947 crash was something where the government, the American government, got the uh, alien tech, if you would, that basically change history was it uh was it uh, corzo said that we got the technology like the transistor radio which changed our our future and there's all this other stuff that technology that was mm-hmm. rolled out that made the united states just the most uh the greatest empire ever do you think are you on the side that it was alien technology there oh yeah velcro too um where else i'm sorry velcro, velcro. no okay absolutely I mean, yes, we've reverse engineered a lot of things, but but there are a lot of things that you know there are no um, there are no copy copyrights on there. You know, there things just suddenly appeared, and we didn't know where the technology came from. I think that 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 what what is happening is more and more and more our government has become a city within a city, so to speak. Mm-hmm. They they apparently, um, I think every now and then, they will tell a president, you know, it's a need to know and you don't need to know. <laughs> I mean, how can our how can any agency tell our president that and get away with it? Mm-hmm. But it it it's happened any number of times with um, Kennedy, with Nixon, with um, I know just those two I know for sure. But but I'm sure that that presidents are briefed on a whole bunch of stuff and sometimes haven't been or hopefully they've forgotten. Um, You know, it's just it just doesn't make sense to me. It doesn't make sense at all. All we're doing is is gearing up for missile attacks and all sorts of stuff for war that no one can win. And there's no point to there's no point to war. I mean, there's plenty of land for everybody to be on. There's, I mean, I, I just sources, yeah, everything. Yeah, I mean, it, it's 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 foolish. Um, what's happening in the Ukraine is ridiculous, and, and and you wait and see. As soon as we have sent everything we have over to the Ukraine, China will take over Taiwan because we won't have any machinery or anything to go defend them. Why don't the aliens help us? <laughs> we need it. <laughs> well, They'll sell us some weapons. <laughs> well, well, you know, see, the thing is, I think they won't because I think for the most part, they're all peaceful. And I think that humanity as it sits today is so barbaric. They don't want to let us loose on the, on the cosmos. Um, the first thing we do with any invention is to the first question asked is, can you make a weapon of it instead That's of true. this will benefit humanity? Well, they have disabled our missiles, you know, the um, uh-huh. uh, the, the missile site, sites um, in Montana and so forth. Gosh, my memory is so bad. But uh, yeah, the, the and the Russians, too, they've disabled um, nuclear missiles in the silos. Absolutely. So you, so you think they would uh, hopefully maybe it'd come up with something more powerful to you know show the world that hey we're not going to let you guys destroy our, the, yourselves because have you heard the theory that they're kind of the gardeners so at least some of them are kind of the gardeners or the caretakers of the planet and they're trying to like we're a garden you know 
and we're kind of pests. And they're trying to manage us. <laughs> um, I've not heard that theory, but it doesn't surprise me. I think that there have been times in our history where uh, we were all at peace. Now, maybe we were at peace because we were scattered so across the globe, there was no way to mount any sort of um, attack on somebody else. But at, at some point in our history, we just bartered. You know, there was no money. We just bartered for what we needed. Um, today, uh, I think that, you know, I think that, I think Einstein really regretted um, giving the calculations for the atom bomb to the government. I hope so. <laughs> it's too late now. And when you, when you look at it, when you stop to think about, you know, how, how we're supposed, we, the United States are the peacemakers. We are the, we're the only country that has ever dropped atom bombs. Yeah. That, that's, that's not a peacemaker. And no country has caused more wars since World War II. We have yeah. uh, eclipsed all the other warlike countries by tens. Uh, we are involved and we are violent. And it's almost inevitable, Barbara. I mean, if we, if the Americans had not uh, discovered or moved uh, nuclear energy forward, the, the Russians or the Nazis or somebody else would have done it. It was just inevitable. Uh, I think. I think the Nazis had it. Yeah, they might have already... Had something. Yeah. Well, if you look at Operation um, High Jump, Admiral Burke was sure they did at the South Pole. Mm -hmm. Yeah, very true. I mean, he talked the government into sending a fleet down there. All right, you shining crazy diamonds, you star men. The first part of our interview with Barbara. Please support this Red Pill Cafeteria for the second part or if you find any value in the content. There are many ways to sub and many ways to upgrade even. And you'll find one that will fit your needs or budget. And we need this astronosis more than ever. For all subs, we'll continue with the second part of the interview, which only gets better. For all non-subs, thanks for being here. Thanks for being yourself, your true self. Here in the desert of the real. I think the Nazis had it. Yeah, they might have already had something. Yeah. Well, if you look at Operation um, High Jump, Admiral Burke was sure they did at the South Pole. Mm -hmm. Yeah, very true. I mean, he talked the government into sending a fleet down there. And they they got they came home with their tail between their legs. They <laughs> the the saucers that came out of the water and attacked the ships mm. were just they they had no defense against them. So um, and you know it, and nobody hears about that. They hear about Admiral Berg and and his fleet going to South America, and then there's nothing more, nothing. They 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 got beat. And because there was at the time um, a Nazi compound underneath the ice, and I think it's still there. And I think oh. I think the scientists are still there, because otherwise there would be no reason for no-fly zones and things like that in, at South America. Well, at this point, they're descendants, at least, right? They have to have a whole civilization down there. I think they probably do. 
And and I think it's going to be interesting either when enough of it melts so that they have to come to the surface or they come forward as another country, which they probably could do. Yeah, you've heard of the stories of uh, dignitaries very high up going down there to Antarctica. Yeah, yeah you got to wonder about that. Yeah, there's got to be a reason. Right. Some sort I mean, of diplomatic talks or something. Well, I think they were all going down there to, well, you know, it may have been diplomatic talks. I I think that somehow, <clears throat> somehow whatever is under the surface has communicated with the surface. And um, it wouldn't surprise me if they claimed Antarctica as, as theirs and came out as a, a new country. Wouldn't that be cool? <laughs> it might be. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> it might be terrifying, <laughs> too. I don't know. Depends well, on what they're up to. Well, Admiral Byrd, in his diary, spoke of Middle Earth. Um, and the society was down there. And the, um, the swastika was on a lot of their, their planes, anyhow. And they did speak German. So um, you, you know that whoever is there... The, the, the whoever's there now are the descendants of Germans. But in my opinion, they realized after the war that nobody was going to come after them. And so they have probably, hopefully, peacefully done whatever they're doing um, and, not, and not intermingling with the rest of the world. Or there's a portal there that takes them to different places and they're saving it. I don't know. I don't know you said Middle Earth. I, I was just thinking of Bilbo Baggins Schwanger or something. <laughs> That's where it is. <laughs> no, um, Admiral Berg you know, swears that he was pulled into Middle Earth and spoke with the people there. And uh, as he was going spiraling down, um, his plane was taken, the, the um, controls of the plane were taken over and he landed and he spoke with somebody who appeared to be in authority. And um, the message was they were very worried about what was happening on the surface. And uh, so they put him back in his plane, he and his navigator, sent him back up and he flew home and he met with um, the high command here and was told if he ever breathed a word of it, you know, he would be put away in an institution the rest of his life. And then they gave him command of a fleet to send down there to wipe them out. And they got wiped out instead. Mm. But his, his diary is available uh, on Amazon. And it's really kind of interesting. Fascinating. Fascinating. Yeah. I, yeah and like your book says, uh, here I am quoting, nowadays in the USA, between 4,000 and 6,000 sightings are reported each year. So, of course, uh, that's just in the USA, and there are other hotbeds. Uh, is, do you, in your research, and again, for the audience, uh, the book goes from today, you think, well, it just happened in Roswell, and the, the, the Cold War gave, the, uh, gave attention to the aliens, or the aliens noticed us. But uh, Barbara goes uh, down into history through medieval times and things that you might have uh, not known and that I'd forgotten, like... Uh, Goethe had had an alien experience and kings of England and people during wars is so extensive. It's a, a wonderful resource. 
But do you see, is there any commonality or atmosphere or weather that attracts or land that attracts UFOs? Or is it kind of random? What are your thoughts from all your research? Well, it, it appears to me to be a bit random. Mm-hmm. Um, and certainly the the balloon that the Chinese sent over had, had um, definitely a, a pathway that it was um that it followed and it circled over a lot of our, you know, installations and camps and stuff like that. So it was definitely checking us out from that, that, that sense of it. Um, I know that uh, I lived in New York for a very long time and the Hudson River Valley was a hotbed for quite a while, Uh, but there's a nuclear power plant there. So we, we kind of, kind of thought that that's, that's what was attracting it. Um, I don't think so, because uh, you know Phoenix Lights. There was there was nothing there that was that, that was of an installation of any sort that that you know um, that would draw the attention. I think a lot of the sightings, frankly, I think they're just trying to get us ready to know that they're there. And and my God, we are ready. Um, when when you think about the Rendlesham Forest um, sighting um, with uh, Jim Pendleson or Pendleson, I can't remember his last name. I've had him on the show. It's terrible. I should be able to remember his name. Jim. Um, he touched the, the the ship that landed, and he was able to rub his hand over the. Um, the glyphs that were on the surface, and he was downloaded with a tremendous amount of um, binary code that he wrote down. And because nobody asked him for it, he didn't give it to anybody. And many years later, um, it was interpreted as as the, the the human condition was worth keeping track of. That it, it had the latitude and longitude of a lot of the sacred sites on the planet, and. Um, the, the last thing that they had there was um, so, uh, time of origin of message, 8100, which would suggest that it was a time-traveling drone. Very interesting. Now, uh, yeah, I know, because I've heard, you know, Brazil, as Vance was saying, is, seems to be a hotbed. Iran, there's a few other places. So I was just, uh, yeah, I was just curious, uh, what could we do? But like you said, uh, they are random. And another question I had, because your book is so spanning and it goes through thoroughly through time with these uh, extraterrestrial encounters, when do you think, um, I don't know how to put this, at some point people thought these were angels, uh, gods, uh, spirits, yeah. and then at some point they might have might have switched and said, wait a second, maybe they are beings of flesh and blood or material beings like us. From other planets. Do you know when this this switch happened? Or well, is it... Um... Well, you have to understand that when you see something like a UFO, you have to describe it from your own frame of reference. And a lot of the ones where they thought they were angels, um, they, they didn't know of anything that flew in the sky. So it had to be an angel because they had the biblical background. But if you go back prior to that then you have you're right they 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 there was a time frame i think when when the aliens did walk the earth 
and and they were probably um, revered as gods. And you know, listen, if somebody's going to worship you, you're not going to say, "Man, I'm just like you." You're gonna <laughs> you're gonna take the libations and you know bring more wine. But um, <laughs> but so I think that that it got to a point where they they knew there was something there. Um, Michelangelo in his paintings has oh, has yeah. aliens. Um, da Vinci too, I think. Da Vinci, yeah. yeah. And and so th- they have been a part of our culture for as last as long as our culture has been here, probably longer. Um, Nazca lines, they've got a space band there. Uh, so that so that they have been present in, in every generation to some degree or another. And in a lot of cases, these early sightings, you know, yeah, I was out getting the cows in and I saw this thing in the sky and it just flew by and yeah. And then, and then I had dinner, you know, it's, <laughs> it, it, it's, it's, there's no fear before no, a Roswell. Different mindset, yeah. Before Roswell, there's no fear really. After Roswell, suddenly we're fearful. I mean, Alastair Crawley, when he was on a mountaintop, he saw two men and two small men in in tight-fitting suits on one of the mountains he was climbing. I mean, just about everybody has seen a UFO. And, well, wait, let me put it that way. Everyone on the planet has seen a UFO. Now, whether it has an alien in it or if it was a meteor or whatever, but everybody's seen something they can't explain. So, you know, and we're, and, and when you, when you stop and think about it though, Eisenhower supposedly had a meeting with UFOs, the, the aliens. Really? And yeah, supposedly he had a meeting and um, he signed a, he signed a, um, he signed a, a, a treaty with them and said that they could take, um, they, they could, they could take, humans and examine them and put them back and they could take um, animals and examine them and put them back. Now, um, yeah, you talk to Laura Eisenhower and she'll tell you all about it. Um, I, first of all, I can't think of anything more stupid than signing a treaty with a culture that is thousands of years ahead of us. Because when you look what we did with the Native Americans, we signed a treaty and then we killed them. Um, so, so anybody who wants to sign a treaty with us, they're crazy. Um, the aliens had no reason to sign a treaty. They were going to do what they were going to do anyhow. So I don't know if I believe that. I mean, he may think he was meeting with aliens. I, I don't know. It is, it is definitely... Um, it, it's written all over the place. So he must have met with somebody. I'd love to see the signature on the document, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and, and if they break the treaty, what are you going to do? Sue them? <laughs> Take them to court. Take them to court. I mean, Base court. really? I mean, that's just, that's just foolish. That doesn't happen. I'm sorry, you don't make a treaty with a culture that is, it's like us going into the Amazon and finding a tri- tribe that has never seen an airplane and signing a treaty with them and then going in and taking all their their good stuff. I mean, <laughs> it doesn't happen. Uh, at least it doesn't happen in human cultures. 
because we've shown that we will not live up to our treaties, at least with races or groups of people that are less um, less developed than we are. Yeah, but they don't care. The aliens uh, say, well, hey, we don't care if they live up to the treaty because I think the deal was that we got technology in return for the aliens being allowed to, uh, you know, take humans and or animals without being harassed. So um, yeah, I guess our, our veracity wasn't really an er element. They got what they wanted, right? Well, yeah, and they got back in their saucer and they all had, you know, champagne and toasted the fact that humans are stupid. <laughs> they knew that already. Yeah. <laughs> oh, nice, nice of Eisenhower to give up uh, his citizens uh, but, but, to be you know, probed. But stop and think about it. Eisenhower was the, you know, he was the top general in World War II. He, mm -hmm. You know, and then and then of course president. He had ex exceptional power. And in his, um, in his speech that he made when you know just before he left office, right. he, he cautioned us about this. You know, the military-industrial complex yeah. and the technocrats and all the scientific technocrats, as he called them. So, yeah, yeah, gave us a warning. Should have warned us about the aliens. <laughs> <laughs> and what's it, here's another interesting uh, fact that I'm looking at right now, Barbara. You have the entry 1347, the Black Plague. And in some sync, I've talked to guests, and this is documented about... Um, green mist that would appear in people's houses or when they died that would come out it was there was this green sort of uh uh oh. glowing mist and some people some guests have said it was some sort of demon some people of course are saying it was some sort of virus like you know like <laughs> the rona released uh -huh. on the european but then of course you said this could easily have been some sort of alien attack right um yeah it could be uh, I just, you know, I, I kind of hate to think it is. I, they also said that, that afterwards there were um, forms in black cloaks carrying size, too. Mm -hmm. um, so that makes me think that, that maybe not quite. I mean, yeah, it, it's def definitely documented. That, that the green the, mist, yeah. The green mist is definitely documented. And that the plague broke out shortly thereafter in all the places that the green mist appeared. Mm -hmm. But, you know, let's, let's look at our government and LSD in World War II. They released LSD in the subways in New York City to see what crowds would do if they were gassed with it. Mm. So... Yeah, giving Black people syphilis. Uh, yep. Yeah, testing on our soldiers. Yeah, over and over again, using other countries as... Uh, guinea pigs yeah that's uh so yeah we are barbaric here i mean <laughs> i i'm 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 a spiritual person i'm a spiritual minister i preach love and and whatever and it, it's hard to look at all this and you know wonder is this is this species ever going to come out of the dark ages yeah um there's got to be a better way and and I don't know what's going to happen. I really don't. But I, I, I look at everything. Everything is keying up. It feels as though, um, you know, the the element of, of, of taking over another country or taking over an island or, you know, adding something to my um, real estate portfolio, so to speak. What what Putin's doing, 
I mean, why? What does it get you? And and it doesn't make sense. I mean, it's almost like these these big boys have nothing better to do with their time, but they're going to play at war. And God forbid, you know, anything happened to them, but they're sending thousands of people to to their death. And and the numbers are just staggering. Now, I know that there's a, a plan afoot to depopulate the earth to a certain amount. All right. I mean that's that's in the in the Georgia Stones. Um, <laughs> Former Georgia Stones. <laughs> don't you find it strange that only one of the plaques was destroyed, but they bulldozed all three? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, how interesting! I heard it wasn't stable, you know, with with what the one gone, but who knows? Well, they could have replaced the plate. Well, they- who's going to pay for it though? See, it's easier to just plow it down because the people that put them up. Uh, are are not unknown, right? Could have put a Starbucks there, <laughs> golden arches, anything. <laughs> yeah, poison Starbucks, right? <laughs> Start oh, depopulating the planet. The Georgia Guidestone blend. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, I mean, those three slabs weren't bothering anybody, and they were actually a tourist attraction for the. Town. <laughs> they were bothering conspiracy theorists a lot. <laughs> uh, well, <laughs> or yeah, for for decades. <laughs> sure, but but. You know, when you put something like that up and the the people start to think, wait a minute, what are they doing with with some of their um, the things that they're putting out in the public? And, you know, then we have the coronavirus, which definitely helped to depopulate to a great extent. And and war, that's that's the major one. You know, let's let's kill people. I mean, it doesn't it doesn't make sense to me. And and it bothers me because, again, the planet can support everybody. Yeah. It's, it's just that people in power prefer to be in power and control things. Yeah. And they want all the resources centralized, not even war and diseases, yeah. propaganda. People aren't mating. Countries like Japan are going to vanish because their population won't have children. So, yeah. Well, and Japan is not going to import uh, migrants because their culture won't allow, you know, other people of other races. So uh, some countries are in trouble. Well, I think everybody is because I think one of the side effects to the vaccine is that it does sterilize. Mm-hmm. So um, our population, is, uh, you watch in the next couple of years that the population, uh, the birth rate is going to go down tremendously. So. You just watch. Could be. You know, one of the things I wondered and I wanted to ask you is about the alien spirituality. I, I, I wish there were more stories about aliens coming down and, you know, helping to spiritually enlighten people or sharing spiritual technology well, if they have it, you know. If you look at, um, let's see, Christian and Barbara O'Brien wrote a book called um, – the Shining Ones, that speaks of just that. Interesting. And it speaks of um, them coming down and them being the Shining Ones. And in the Bible, they're spoken of as Shining Ones. Um, <clears throat> when Noah was born, uh, his father thought that... Uh, yeah, he was a Nephilim. Yeah, yeah. And the Shining Ones um, were tall. And had longer lives, 
and they were here to help cultivate the planet um, and help terraform it. And they worked with the people that were here. And at some point in time, they did cross cross pollinate them, so that so that children were had were had with the DNA of those shining ones, and they came through portals. Um, yet they were able to bilocate, and uh, it's it's a fascinating amount of um, really um, incredible information that's in the book. So. I guess their contract expired because I haven't heard <laughs> of anything lately. It's, um, you know, you know what? You know what? One one of them could get up on a stage somewhere, you know, in Madison Square Garden or whatever, and and you know actually demonstrate you know amazing things and tell people more you know about how the universe is set up and so forth and dispel all the superstitions and false religions and so forth and you know it would, you know I, I could imagine this happening, but it doesn't. You know, that's what disappoints me. Well, the about. problem with that is when you see somebody with those kind of powers, you suddenly create a religion around them. That's what happened with Jesus. He wasn't. Yeah, look out. what they did with him, though. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so, you know, I'm sure people are taking note of what we do to people that try to teach love and peace. And, and you know, we kill them. So... Just have a portal set up on the stage. Just walk through it. <laughs> oh, that wouldn't matter. Uh, yeah, uh, Barbara, as many people know, I'm writing this spiritual biography on Elvis Presley, and he had uh, five, three that are very verifiable. He wasn't alone. He had a Memphis Mafia, mm -hmm. classic extraterrestrial encounters, uh, verifiable. And in one of them, you know, one of his friends is like, "Oh man, we got to tell the world," and he's like. We ain't going to do nothing because they will crucify us. You know? oh, yeah. <laughs> so he knew better. And he said, we're keeping this within the group. <laughs> yeah. Well, I can believe that. Yeah. He, he was a terribly spiritual person. Very much. Yeah. I mean, not, not only um, religious, but spiritual. And, and my definition of the difference between religion and spirituality is that religion is taught mm -hmm. and spirituality is a way of living. Exactly. It's an experience. Yeah, he believed in having an experience of God. Yeah. So so that, you know, you have to be taught religion. You have to be taught what your limits were. You have to be taught how to do everything. And in spirituality, you just, the spirit flows through you and you have the experience of it. And then you know that it's a part of you and therefore you have the power to to use it wisely. And, yeah, well said. You know, anybody who tries to tell you that they can do that, then you know, back away fast because <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Religions, every religion on the planet started with the golden rule. And when they saw they had a crowd, they formed a religion, and that was the end of it. Mm, exactly. And are you able to, in your work, do you separate the UFO extraterrestrial with the spiritual life? Do you see there is a spiritual world as there is a extraterrestrial interstellar civilization? Or are they one and the same? They're all together. We're all, I mean, I, I believe that there is a source of all creation. I An ultimate consciousness, the one, yeah. something like that. Okay. Yeah. And, and, you know, saying God 
totally limits the, the whole thing. So there is a, a, there is a source. And we all come from the same source. You know, people, animals, everything, aliens, we're all one. And I like to hope that if alien cultures of any sort are coming to the planet, that they have grown into the understanding that they are all one with everybody. They're probably looking down at us and saying, uh-uh, we can't possibly be related <laughs> to them. But, but they're here. And they're not leaving. And and I think the government probably does have information that would help us understand because you know our our concept here on this planet, um with you know Judeo-Christian with the Bible and everything, if if you went to another planet and you started to talk about Jesus, they wouldn't know what you were talking about. So all of the religions that are indigenous to this planet are indigenous to this planet alone. So you have to have a greater spectrum of spiritual understanding to be able to understand that out there, there are millions of other cultures that have belief systems that are based on their planet, their frame of reference. So, you know, it's, it's, it's going to be interesting once we get to a point where we can actually connect with them. But we won't be doing it in tin cans. <laughs> yeah, I always like what Einstein said uh, when they asked him, uh, "What, what, what is World War Three going to be like?" And he said, "I can't tell you how World War Three is going to be like, but I can guarantee you, World War Four will be fought with sticks and stones because <laughs> we'll be bomb, our, we'll bomb ourselves back to the Stone Age again with sure the beginning <laughs> of two thousand and one, the Space Odyssey." <laughs> well, you know, you, you look at. Um, Oh, Philip Lindsay, and um, you look at Joseph Silby, and they talk about the different ages or the different levels that humanity cycles through over and over and over and over again. And with Philip Lindsay's, um, he has eight different root races that we go through. Mm. And at the, at the end of the, the last one, some sort of mass destruction happens and, and basically it sounds like it's more of a comet strike or something like that it's not a war and humanity is sent back to the beginning to cycle through the different areas again to come to a golden age and um and then we're sent back and uh, uh joseph silby basically goes through four different yugas or um, ages and his his philosophy comes from a lot of the Chinese material and they believe that there are the four ages that we cycle through and then after we get to the top we and the cycle takes 25,000 years and once we get to the top then we start going for 25,000 years devolving back down to the beginning again, and then we start going up again. So this is a wave that goes up and down. Philip Lindsay's is a spiral that continuously takes you upward. So, and those are, those are just two. I'm sure there are a lot more. Fascinating. So many theories. And yeah, I have to ask you this one because this is uh, an angle I'm very interested in, but uh, where do, do you um, give any credence to, uh, let's say, uh, John Keel or Charles Fort, that the extraterrestrials aren't extra from 
another planet or solar system but they are interdimensional creatures they don't have to go anywhere they can just sort of slide into our reality whenever they feel like it i you know i i more and more hold to that thought because if you look at the craft that have crashed no way they would make it through time no so, no break the speed of light yeah <laughs> but but i the more i think about it the more i i see things like you are um crop circles those are done through um I believe through coming through a portal and creating it and going back, I think that they can do a lot of um, weaving of time, of overlapping time. So it feels like it happened almost instantaneously and it didn't. So, yeah, I totally believe that. And I, I know that, um, especially with Bigfoot, which I think is, is fascinating. No, I love Bigfoot. Yeah. You talk about giants and Bigfoot in your, your website, Barbara, a lot. I do, I do. <laughs> um, they, they, according to Mary Joyce, um, who, who writes the uh, website um, Skyships Over Cashiers, and it's a fabulous website. If you haven't looked at it, you should. Um, they found that they, they got um, some hair with some follicles on it, and they had it tested, and they found that the mother's side was human. Mm -hmm. And the father's side was they didn't know what it was because it wasn't human. So Bigfoot's maybe a Heflim. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, um, it's possible. It's possible. And you gotta understand too, a lot of the stuff with Nephilim and everything, we get our information from the Bible, which was written by a whole bunch of men in dresses. And <laughs> <laughs> and and they were they were trying to create a flow of information so they could create a religion and that's exactly what they did so um i'm not sure you know i i, I love the old testament i just think that's a great storybook new testament is boring but if you read just the red stuff it's wonderful material but you know you kind of you step back and you say, okay, so what is really our history? Where do we come from? And there was a scientific study done on human DNA. And that every, I don't know, 25,000 years, I, I forget how many years, but it was a lot. Uh, our DNA um, has, um, you know, it changes, it morphs into another fragment. You know, there's something that, that, it, that it grows into. And they took our human DNA and they tried to follow it back as far as they could to when the purest form of our DNA existed. And then they looked at the age of the earth and human DNA is older than the age of the earth. Really? Wow. So where'd we come from? Uh, the star seed theory. We're seeded, life was seeded here from somewhere else. Yeah. Or, or we were we were created for this atmosphere, and we were put here. Um, and, and you know, you stop and think about it. If if another culture or race or whatever had nothing better to do with their time but to create another species, and then it's kind of like their mother said, "You've got to get rid of those 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 whatever you've created." <laughs> you know, they're messing up your room. Right. And, and so they came and dumped 
all of their little friends here on the planet. And that's where we came from. I'm not, I, I don't know for sure that's what happened, but it's a possibility. But, but we are not indigenous to this planet. So any aliens that are watching us may well have been here before us. We yeah. are kind of the strangers, that's for sure. Well, look at, look at the Indian tribes that um, say that the ant people took them beneath the surface of the earth. Mm-hmm. And um, so people immediately draw, draw these, these, these weird looking things and say, well, these were the ant people. Um, I believe that they were called ant people because they lived underground like the ants did. And they probably looked a lot like us so that they weren't, you know, insects. They were people who lived under, you know, you, you see, you call people, you know, the, the people of Mississippi or the people of Tennessee or the, you know, and it's just, you know, they, they live underground. So they're ant people. If they lived in the sky, they would be sky people. I don't believe that, that there was any misshapen alien source there. And and uh, I, when I see one, I'll tell you and I'll say, whoops, I was mistaken. <laughs> but I don't think so. I've not seen grays either. Um, chances that they exist are far greater than ant people for sure. Yeah. Neither have I. Actually, the gray's face looks a little bit like an ant's face, a little bit. Well, there there are theories that they're also highly evolved humans from the future, too. Isn't that what Crowley did? What lamb was looked like a gray? But he, I don't know if what did he what was he? Alistair. Yeah, he called him lamb. He even drew him and all that. Kind really? Of a, Didn't know about that. Yeah, just look up look up Google lamb. Okay. L A M. Yeah. Huh. Well, he was he was an experiencer of lots of different things, so he might have been swayed by some of his extracurricular activities. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He had his, his hand into all things. Yes, so awesome. <laughs> well, as we get to the end, Vance, do you have any last questions or comments you might have for uh, Barbara or the topic in general? Oh, yeah, I promised to ask about Billy Meyer in in that case. So um, what do you think of Billy Meyer's case, Barbara? I think that the photographs were faked. I believe Billy Meyer had an experience with aliens that a lot of us would just kill for. I know know there are people that, that think that he's a fraud. I don't because I've read a lot of his material and it is so spiritual. It's unbelievable. Um, he, he, I I mean, he, he's, he has one arm. He, I think it's the coolest thing. He, he ran away from home and joined the foreign legion. And then he lost his arm in a bus accident. A number of years later, went back home, got put in jail for a while. And he's been talking to the aliens forever. And they have given him phenomenal information on a phenomenal uh, 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 different uh, you know material, he has he expresses and writes wisdom beyond the possibility of his being able to do it. So he's channeling it, and um, I think he's as authentic as they come. Yeah, as far as his material, but you think the fake the photographs? He, they did catch um, him with a model 
of one of the UFOs in his attic. I know I read that somewhere. So that supports your theory that, um, you know, your, your belief that he um, faked the photographs. They are yeah. awful good. Yeah. yeah. I'm watching them right now. Very well, well I, I don't think that he ever wanted the kind of publicity he's getting. He's a very simple man. And, um, you know, they, they, he's almost a prisoner in his little compound now. And, and it's interesting. When a picture was taken, um, Hitler had a whole bunch of psychics that were working for him. And one of them, her last name was Orsich, I think. And beautiful woman, long blonde hair. And they showed Billy Meyer a picture of her. And he said, that's Samyasi. I worked with her for years, which I found fascinating. Interesting, so. yeah. Well, when your pictures like he has are better than the U.S. Army's pictures, uh, you got to worry. It has to be gritty and dark and all that because that's just what happens. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I don't think he cares what people think. He's just doing his own thing. And I think that the books he's written are phenomenal. I mean, I've read some of them. And um, and even his predictions. I think he's a male chauvinist pig, too. But <laughs> I, I think his spiritual stuff is really good. <laughs> he's still alive. That's amazing. He's 86 years old, I guess. Yeah. And, you know, you either, like, you, you either love him or hate him. There's no in-between. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm not familiar with him, but I'm going to check him out. So awesome. Well, we are at the end uh, for the audience, Barbara. I'll have this on the show notes, but where can people find out more about your work? Well, my website is barbaradelong.com, which makes it very easy. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of material there. There's a link to the YouTube channel. And very shortly, there will be a new book coming out and a new deck of cards um that are hand-painted mandalas that i did 30 years ago and um we're reissuing them along with a handbook that's um quite impressive it's it's over 300 pages that uh, will be out probably in june hopefully and you have and through your website people can to find out about your show Yep, the YouTube channel is there. You can, and also a connection to Blog Talk. Yeah, everything's there on the front page. It's hard to miss. Great, great. Well, check it out and definitely check out before Roswell. You'll have uh, the catalog that you'll need to really track and see this spanning history of UFO visitation from time. A useful resource. But we are at the end of our own little journey across the planet. Vance, thanks for keeping us company. Oh, it's been uh, very interesting. Always interested in UFOs and the history thereof. So thank you, Barbara, for letting us know about all this great stuff. Oh, my pleasure. Yeah, thank you very much. And uh, good luck with everything, your new work. And uh, we look forward to our next chat. Thank you.